EOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Uh, well, if you were looking for Patty this morning, you're going to be disappointed. He's off today. Hello, everyone. Tim Powers sitting in. It's been a little while, but glad to be back here with you on this 12th of December. A uh, One of those days as we're all plowing forward, getting closer to the holidays with a good degree of excitement, stress, tep- trepidation, joy, you name it. Uh, it's the season when we experience everything. Um, It is great to be back. I have to tell you a couple of quick things before we get into some of the things we might talk about today. I tell you, as many of you know, when I do the show, I do it from my home in Ottawa, which is on Avondale Avenue. Well, it's getting more like Newfoundland and Labrador here. You want to know why? I can now go down the street and I can soon start to smell it. It's about to open. Can you guess what it is? Yes, another Mary Brown's. Greg Roberts' company is everywhere. They're now in in our neighborhood. I'm though so it's not home. It's starting to feel more like home. Mary Brown's is down the street with taters and legs and all their fine treats. I'll be looking forward to, to having a little bit of that soon. And speaking of feeling like home, uh, this one was awesome. I sent uh, Ben and uh, Greg a text about this last week. I was lucky enough to go watch the auto. Senators play the uh, the New York Rangers last week. Not the game against the Leafs that Benny was rubbing in on me yesterday where the Leafs won 4-3, to three, although the Leafs blew it last night. Hey, Brian and Ben, suckers. Anyway, they played the Rangers last week, and we, my son Patrick and I, we got there for the warm-up. And it was pretty cool because the two guys that have Newfoundland roots, two of the guys on the Senators who have Newfoundland roots, were awesome to Patrick. He was right up on the glass, and Drake Batherson came up with a big smile on his face. Didn't know Patrick uh, from, from, from anywhere. He did a big body check on the glass to him. Patrick got a kick out of that. And then uh, Ian Norris's son, uh, Josh, was, uh, was there smiling at him and doing the warm-ups. Got a great picture of uh, Patrick looking at Josh Norris. And as one of my good buddies said to me um, when I sent him the picture, he said, yeah, in our day, we were down at the stadium trying to get pucks off Randy Piercy. My, how things have changed. Nothing wrong with Randy Piercy. He's done done lots for hockey and sports in Newfoundland and Labrador. But it was awesome seeing Patrick down there with Josh Norris and Drake Batherson and getting uh, getting that experience. It's uh, it's uh, dad's highlights. Maybe more for him than it is for me, but he loves it too. So that's a little bit of feel of Newfoundland. Though listening to Brian's crime report this morning, I was brought back to the time. Now, anybody who's under the age of 30 will be like, oh, they always have these old guys in open line. They don't know what the world's like today. But anybody over the age of 30 probably remembers when we first got cable television in Newfoundland and Labrador, you know, with the floor model TV and all of those things. We got Bangor, Maine first in the great money movie Eddie Driscoll and all of that and then we switched to Detroit and what was always fascinating to me about watching the local news on Detroit because I've always been a a news junkie uh, shock oh shock would be every story for the first 15 minutes seemed to be about crime and more crime and of course those were tough days those were the late 80s early 90s in Detroit it was a tough time in Detroit things have cleaned up a lot in Detroit by the way but listening to Brian's report I was brought back to Detroit. I mean, my goodness, what is going on? I appreciate those are, 
you know, th- those are bad crimes, uh, maybe not as violent as some of the crimes that we've seen, but they're still crimes. And the story of uh, the guys in the, uh, the mall parking lot, again, one last link to here and the Ottawa Senators about a week, what is it, two, three weeks ago, fella around here brought a brand new F-150 pickup and he brought it to a senator's game and it got ripped off in the parking lot. Oh my, it's tough out there and it is tough out there and crime, uh, we seem to hear more about it because no doubt people are having difficult circumstances and uh, crime is one of the ways they're trying to address them, but I won't give you the sociological lecture on all of that. Let's dive into some of the things that I'm sure will come up on open line this morning. We'll go to we'll get to teeth in a moment, but let me floss through a bit of the other news. Oh, wasn't that clever? Floss through? Uh, maybe not. Maybe that was useless. Uh, how about this? The liberal nomination in Conception Bay East, Bell Island, closes at 4 p.m. today. The worst kept secret in the province, of course, is that the liberal candidate is likely to be uh, my colleague and friend, uh, colleague at VOCM here, colleague at NTV, former schoolmate at St. Bonds, known Fred Hutton for years. He's a fine human being. He'll be a great political candidate. But Fred is likely to be the candidate. In fact, I know I could say sources tell me Fred Hutton will be the candidate in Conception Bay East Bell Island. That, of course, is uh, David Brazel's seat. A by-election will be held in the new year uh, when David has officially stepped down. Um, now all parties will have a candidate. It would be fascinating to watch that. In terms of name recognition and awareness, Fred would certainly have a head start on the other candidates. But I know whether it be Fred Hutton or any of the other candidates, nobody takes any of that lightly. That's a conservative seat, or has been a David Brazel seat, I should say, since David has been in uh, in uh, the House of Assembly. Um, the government will want to get that seat. That, of course, is the Premier's home riding. In a time when incumbent governments have had challenges, although the Fury government, at least both in our abacus polls and some of the leader polls you see from um, uh, Ipsos Reid, suggest that they're in a bit of a different place. It'll be one to be watched, though. Uh, certainly new opposition leader Tony Wakem will want to get that seat because he will know uh, the importance of taking a potential high-profile win away from the uh, from the Liberals. So we'll be watching that. Nominations close at four. Uh, I think Fred is probably going to keep his head down today, uh, but I'm sure he will be talking to the public at some point about his intentions and what's made him uh, decide to move from broadcaster to senior political advisor to somebody who's putting his name on a ballot. And congratulations to all the people who are putting their names on the ballot. It is not an easy thing to do, particularly in this day and age. But that we will be watching today. Also watching today, uh, feedback on the dental plan. You heard uh, Richard's interview with uh, Seamus O'Regan a few moments ago on the government announcement yesterday of the national dental plan, a new major addition. Uh, I don't think you can dispute that, and I'm saying major, not from a political context 
perspective, that's for the liberals to argue. But from a financial perspective, I think the number I've seen is $13 billion to move this program uh, from uh, conception to reality. But that program is going to start. Just a few more details, which may help uh, as we discuss this today. And we're going to try and get some reaction from the Dental Association here or dentists in Newfoundland and Labrador. Just going to read you uh, three of the paragraphs uh, from the Globe and Mail report on it. Here I go. Under Ottawa's phased-in approach, seniors age 87 and older will be allowed to apply starting this month, followed by people 77 to 86 in January, 72 to 76 in February, and those 70 to 31, 70, sorry, 70 to 71 in March. Seniors aged 65 to 69 will not be able to apply until May. Persons with a valid disability tax credit certificate and children under 18 will be able to apply online as of June. All remaining Canadians who meet the income eligibility requirements will be able to apply in 2025. And the full implementation of the program will not take effect until 2025. The two key elements, obviously, for um, uh, application are income, family income below $90,000. There are two bands. If you're in the seventy dollars to $90,000 band, there will be some element of co-payment of, um, of the program. If you're below $70,000, uh, there will be no element of co-payment. The federal government will pay that um, if you have dental insurance in either of those categories uh, or sorry if you have dental insurance in 70 to 90 some arrangement will be made but you also need to be without and many people are dental insurance so all of this is fine uh, and dandy uh, the reaction has been fairly predictable uh, dentists are looking for details because obviously they have to find a way to be able to bill um, insurance providers are looking at this as well because they too have to cover and bill uh, Quebec is saying that this is interfering in their jurisdiction which is not surprising equally not surprising to me but it may be to some um, the federal conservatives have their lips sealed on this. Um, ideologically, it may be something they oppose, but practically, uh, it's m much like uh, federal daycare initiatives and other health funding initiatives that the government has announced. There are so many people that are in need of these services that they are unlikely to pick a fight around them right now, that being the conservatives. But we'll continue to watch for the reaction. If Cliff Small, the conservative MP, the only conservative MP for Newfoundland, would like to call and give his perspective on this and other things. Certainly welcome talk, talking to Cliff. And if you want to talk about this, I can just walk you through what I know now. I don't know more than that. I would encourage you again to um, look at our website. Richard has put something up there. Go to the government website. But those are some of the initial details. What are your reactions to this? Is this going to help change the political fortunes of the federal liberals, as you well know from our abacus polling and other polls, uh, they are struggling uh, right now in the horse race numbers, some 17 points behind the um, 
the liberals. Sorry, in our last one, or the conservatives in our last one, they were 19 points behind. A couple of other things before we go to the break, and we already got callers, which is awesome, Tom and, and Leslie. I will come to you after the break. Uh, the 75th anniversary celebrations, I think they should be celebrations uh, for Confederation. Our, uh, some of that information was unveiled by the Premier and his uh, government yesterday. I say this as somebody uh, whose grandfather initially was for a responsible government maintaining what we had and then um, had some support of John Crosby's late father, Chess, and economic union with the U.S. But then, of course, the John Crosby and others went to, on to be prominent players in Canada and recognized the value of Canada. But we are celebrating, recognizing our 75th anniversary. There will be community service medals, which is kind of borrowing from the Canada 125 and uh, other celebrations when Canada 150, when medals were given to the community. I think that's a good thing. Important to recognize people in the community, as government says, who don't often get recognized. But Lord knows, uh, in every part of Newfoundland and Labrador, there are so many vital community people, and what the hell's wrong with giving them a medal? I have no issue with that. Many of them won't want it. They don't seek recognition, but a little recognition is not a terrible thing. There will be some arts and culture grants. There will be 75 scholarships for students, and of course, a new license plate. I did, um, one of the things I did take away from yesterday, and I was following John Rich on uh, Twitter, or X, or whatever the hell we call that thing these days, uh, was the design. And John made the point it looked like an old beer logo. And he couldn't remember which one it is, nor can I. That said, maybe I like that beer because I do like the simplicity of the logo with the 75 in there. Whoever did that, uh, good on you from my perspective. But, hey, you want to talk about that, the 75th anniversary, what your your recollections are, or do you want to see substantive things in the 75th anniversary, more, um, uh, more recognition of Newfoundland and Labrador and Canada dealing with some of our funding inaccuracies? Uh, all of those inadequacies, excuse me, all of those things are important. Also, uh, this one, and there's so much more, but let me go to this and then probably to break. 38 years ago, you heard Brian mention this in the news, and I remember this. I was away at the time. I was in high school on the mainland at the time. 38 years ago. Uh, of course, it was only two. The Arrow Air Crash in Gander that killed 256 people, um, mostly U.S. service personnel. It was a story that gained international attention. There were all manner of theories at the time. Some of them linked later to Iran-Contra. Um, you'll remember the, the legendary figure Oliver North. Some of this, I think, was discussed in Congress or not. I may be foggy on all of that, but there were all sorts of theories about why that plane crashed. Nonetheless, um, it was a terrible, terrible day. 256 people lost their lives. Uh, there's a memorial in Gander to this. I have seen it. It is very moving. And it was a day many of us will remember the just the sheer horror and the plane was just you know miles away from the runway and this crash happened and nobody made it and we'll see if we can get somebody on to talk about the crash talk about the theories talk about how we look at it today 
and whatever else you want to talk about. Didn't even get to COP28. Didn't even get to um, the living wage or the 988 line or Tent City or uh, the challenges uh, and the rise of food bank usage. But we can bring all of that on the show. I'm here with you for the next two hours and 45 minutes. Though, time for our first break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with some calls after that. One through me. I'm used to hearing Greg do that. That tells you I haven't been on in a while. Just before I go to Leslie, a reminder, you can get me on X, I guess it's called now, at Powers Tim. You can email us, too, at openline at VOCM.com. And uh, Haley fans, I guess you're okay. Tavares got his 1,000th point with six seconds left. So not all is lost for you today. Uh, Leslie, uh, you're on the line. You want to talk about um, a Fraser Institute report that shows charitable giving is down a little bit in Atlantic Canada. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's my first time calling. I was driving to work this morning and heard on your news broadcast a report from the Fraser Institute that was releasing that uh, across Canada, charitable donations and giving are down substantially, but more so in Atlantic Canada than any other region in Canada. And I think that made me a little sad um, just because it doesn't really show the whole story. Um, this report is based on charitable giving that are done through taxable receipts yes, that are yep. then named after the tax report. And although those are very important charities that a lot of people give to and they, they serve a wonderful purpose and need in our communities, I have never been so proud to be uh, a Newfoundlander, an Atlantic Canadian, for the amount of charitable giving that I have seen in the last year. We are in an economy right now that people are struggling everywhere. So maybe there's a lot of cases where people might have given those one, two, three thousand dollars $3,000, whatever donations to get that tax receipt. And they just can't do it anymore. And thus it's showing, you know, that as, as a region, our charitable givings are down substantially. But the truth of the matter is, I do a lot of charity work, um, and I don't do it through an organization anymore. I used to for many years. And the reason that I do that is I know a lot of the money that is donated does go to administrative costs. Um, A lot of it doesn't end up directly in the hands of the people that need it. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not um, trying to knock any organization. Of course, they have to pay their bills and, and keep their doors open. But in Newfoundland right now, the number of people that are donating either their time, um, giving to food banks, doing their own personal drives, sponsoring families, raising money on the side of the street, giving to the gathering place. These are so important. And unfortunately, because there's no tax receipt issued and claimed, it looks like, you know, when reports like this come out that, you know, we're just not there to support each other. And that is so far from the truth. This year alone, um, I host a a charity every Christmas in memory of my parents. I have never seen the amount of support that has come this year and from the people who really don't have the money to give. People are finding it, helping, giving their time, giving resources. So I just want to turn something that sounded a little sad on the news into a good news story because we don't take into consideration all of the other ways that people give in Newfoundland and Labrador and in Atlantic Canada. I know right now my basement is full of enough supplies to do 400 blessing bags. We'll do over 100 uh, gifts for seniors this year. We'll sponsor families. This is all undocumented charitable donations from friends, family, strangers, people who come out to support. 
they may not be able to give a $50 donation or a $100 donation, but they'll show up at my door and say, here's a pack of socks. You know, here's some toothbrushes and toothpaste. All that counts, and it counts more than any report can ever show. It counts to the people whose hands it goes in. So I just want to put that spin on it and say, you know what, if you hear that news report and you think, geez, we're really not doing enough, we are. All you have to do is go on Facebook, look at Neighbors in Need. Um, The Christmas kettles for the Salvation Army are, are being filled every day. You can't walk through a mall and see one. Food bank boxes are in, you know, many companies have them set up in their lobbies. There's people doing all these small, you know, acts of kindness that really are huge when they're all put together. You know what, Leslie? I'm so glad you called and, and made the point that you did. It, I, I, look, I, I see that uh, as it relates to the way people care for my own mother. Her two kids are here in Ottawa, and you know uh, she's able-bodied anyway. But people kindly bring over soup. They bring food. They do support. They shovel her driveway. You know, and that happens all across the the island. There is ju- and and in Labrador, it's just you. Great on you for making that point. It is tougher for people financially, but that doesn't mean there aren't other gifts that you can give. And people do have the same concerns that you do around um, administrative costs and charities. But uh, you, you said it far better than I can. I will leave. We will leave it at your words. Thank you for calling. That was an awesome first time call. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Merry Christmas to you as well uh regular caller now always enjoy talking with him on line two and that is tom davis uh tom you want to talk some international students today i believe is the note i have here if i'm reading it right how are you i'm doing well tim merry christmas to you and your merry christmas to you listeners and everyone uh, last week, the Program for International Student Assessment came out, which is acronym is PISA, and so it's 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 a study that examines academic progress of 15-year-old students in dozens of countries, and and then compares them in baselines. And Canada did pretty good compared to the OECD, relatively speaking. However, around the world, on average, they determined that uh, math scores fell by 15 points compared to 2018, and 20 points is a full year of learning. Just so, for perspective. Okay. Okay. Um, unfortunately, Newfoundland dropped 29 uh, points. So basically, since 2018, a 15-year-old um, is is a year and a half less math teaching compared to a 15-year-old in 2018, which is pretty dramatic when you think about it. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And then if you go back to two, they do this every generally it's every three years, but there was a there was a bit of a gap because of COVID. But if you go back to 2003. Newfoundland children have dropped 58 points, so almost three years behind where a student in 2003 would have been. And, you know, if we, if we all sit back and contemplate that, you know, we basically are creating technology that is smarter and smarter, i.e. artificial intelligence. And we're being manipulated more and more by large organizations, social media companies, large businesses, food companies, pharma, and all these things. But we're getting less intelligent. Yeah, it's, it's it is very. I just want to stop you there because it it is fascinating. I, I look at my son's 
pedagogy and uh, and this is not a criticism of his teachers or anything like that because they all work very hard but it, it is very different than when you and I were younger and I don't know if that's good or bad but a lot of the things that I would think are essential like working more forcefully on those math skills aren't as present at least to my uh, awareness here and if we don't retain our ability to have critical skills and lean constantly on you know machine based uh, diagnostics of problems we're going to struggle well everything is connected the brain is really a unique thing and most people you got to work it don't re- well, that's right and and the brain actually you might be really athletic and have one part of your brain really de- developed yep. and you might do crosswords and that's a different part of your brain but most people don't realize that doing mazes develops a different part of your brain than doing a crossword doing sudoku to deliver to you know works out as part of your brain that mazes and crosswords don't and so everything is connected and we need creative critical thinking problem solvers which is what newfoundlanders and labradorians used to always be like known for it wasn't necessarily i mean your marks are one thing mm-hmm. and you know and reflecting on that on that i mean 2003 is not that long ago i mean you and i go back way longer than that no tom don't and, tell them how old we really are okay well, keep going we don't keep need going to do that. no <laughs> So, you know, so I would like, you know, for me, I look at a couple couple of sources of the challenge. First of all, is it doesn't seem to matter very much what anybody does, how well you do in school. I mean, children who become fourth years have a way worse prognosis future than ones who just finished high school. And then if you don't take a big gap in between, generally you have a better progress progression if you go into a trade or into post-secondary or whatever your path is. And and somehow it doesn't seem to matter whether a hospital mercy room is closed in this province or whether students' grades or marks drop. I mean, a lot of provinces and states and war, and countries responded very aggressively to the pandemic, to the learning loss, which is now very well demonstrated. But it doesn't really seem like we did here because it doesn't seem to matter. It's, and and I don't know how we re-inject re- personal responsibility, community responsibility into our the psyche of our province. I mean, Newfoundland and Labradorians used to always be thinking about the future and managing our money and managing our resources and managing whether we caught enough fish and managing this and managing that. But it seems like everybody's just in the moment. And everybody then is relying on a very small number of elected officials to save them. And, you know, and, and, and we all need to reflect on that. I mean, the elders in this province are, no, are dismissed a lot of the times now. The pillars of our society, which would be the family unit, yep. um, you know, politics, justice, science, all these things that are, are thing, everybody questions. Nobody really trusts anything anymore. And the divide and conquer that there are individuals and organizations that are doing that deliberately, and we're, we're all falling for it. And we have, a, you know, major addictions with social media mm-hmm. and video games in our young children. And and it seems like everybody wants someone else to solve the problem or we're going to blame someone, blame, you know, it's, it's the federal government, it's Trudeau's fault, it's, it's the premier's fault, it's the teacher's fault. Well, you know what, everybody needs to look in the mirror, all of us, all of us need to look in the mirror and ask, are we doing everything we possibly can to create an environment where our children can thrive? I mean, video game use, social media use is proven to cause, directly cause aggression in our children and we worry about why the classrooms are have so much aggression and violence in them. Social media causes anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, child abuse is a huge thing, and, and that will manifest itself in schools and the behavior of children and, the, and, and all these really difficult socioeconomic challenges that we're all facing cannot be solved by 40 people in the House of Assembly 
can't be solved by your teachers. I mean, it, the grandparents, the parents, and the children themselves need to take some responsibility for our lives. We really do. And I've got to leave it there. Agree on the message of personal responsibility. It's one we don't perhaps reflect on enough. Anyway, Tom, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay, now listen, uh, before we go to break, I want to go to line six, because uh, Leslie was talking about good deeds. Who's on line six is Brendan, and Brendan has found a bag of gifts at the mall. So before we go to break, Brendan, where'd you find the bag, and how can people get in touch with you? Oh, good you? day. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Uh, very good. I know I found a bag in the full court, not far from the photo, level six photos there. Okay. As a, a few chairs, the glass goes up, like sort of, and it's between there. So as it goes in the second chair in, I was in the sun seat, the chair was under the table. I always look under where I'm sitting down anyway, right? So Yeah. And uh, I've seen the bag, and I, you know, just uh, see what was there. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, women's clothing in the bag, and it's valued over $200. And... Uh, I then, uh, since he's here, I took it down to the office down there in okay. the Bank of Nova Scotia in the mall, and they gave okay. the lady there, and she said she put it online. The reason I phone is some people don't be online, don't you know, older people, and uh, they won't know about it, but if it's on BOCM, they will know about it, for sure, right? Yeah, no, you're right, Brennan, uh, and good on you for doing that. Thank you for being a good citizen that uh, I'm sure somebody who misplaced that bag is pretty worried, and uh, whether it's online or on VOCM, hopefully we can get it back to them. Thank you yes, for, for doing good. that. Good Christmas, Have a good Dean. day. Thank you. You too. Take bye, care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's, there's a living example of what Leslie said. You don't have to write a check. Sometimes you can just be a good soul. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after this. Win your Christmas cash with a VOCM Cares for the Community 50-50 draw. Buy your tickets until December 16th at VOCM.com. Welcome back. Tim Powers in for Patty. Big list of callers here. So instead of hearing my gums flap, let's go and talk to you. And you, in this case, is Gregory on line four. Gregory, how are you? Uh, Good morning, Gregory. Oh, go ahead, Gregory. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the homeless situation that's uh, going on. I don't want to stereotype or anything like that. Uh, so, um, you go ahead. You use your whatever words you're comfortable with, and we'll walk through it. Uh, yes, I think the number one thing uh, to uh, consider is why are they homeless? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's no good to uh, be given a uh, place, and then the same thing continues, and then they're homeless in another six months. Also, what's uh, government's responsibility and mm-hmm. in uh, general? I personally don't think it's uh, government responsibility uh find everyone a house like me and uh you live in because in the current housing uh, situation that's not available and stuff like that and um 
so what do uh, uh, government do? Is, yep. uh, I think it's hard to uh, fix the issue of why are they why are they homeless and stuff like that. I've been homeless. I've been homeless. I've been homeless uh, myself, and uh, uh, because of a marriage breakup, uh, it wasn't safe for my uh, uh, house, and I went to the uh, Wiseman Centre. Uh, there were some uh, people there uh, that uh, also were homeless, and then like the idea of a. Uh, uh, being told uh, what to do, uh, curfews and uh, uh, stuff like that, and um, uh, so what do uh, uh, government uh, uh, do? Yeah, you've raised like a number of key issues. No one circumstance is the same, as your example points out. Um, there are all kinds of factors that can be at play for someone not um, being able to have a home in which to live or rental accommodations in which to live or even to get into a shelter. There's challenges also um, that, uh, th- that relate to mental health and wellness that are, are well documented. I mean, I don't think, and it's certainly not my area of expertise, homelessness, but I'm learning more and more about it. There isn't one fix to it all, as you point out. Though I will say, I think we, as you've raised in your comments, you, you, you can't just assume, as I think was done often in the past, well, that person's not working hard enough or that person isn't you know, contributing. Um, it's much more complex than that. And it's not just government that's got to help solve those problems or create the conditions for people to thrive. Uh, that's a full-on societal, uh, societal effort. Anything else you'd, you'd like to add, Greg, before I, Gregory, before I move on? Well, I understand uh, where people is coming from. I'm going to uh, uh, use the public shelter, the gathering place. Yes. Uh, not, not wanting to be in a place where um, they don't feel comfortable. You know, Big room with cots and uh, uh, stuff like that. I I picked up a person at the at the uh, garden place and uh, took him into uh, uh, my place to work for a friend of mine, and uh, they got a, uh, a place to stay. And I helped them uh, with security deposits and different things like that. And uh, there's a bit of a, a success story. Well, that good, 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 good for you. That's a, great. And because of uh, past drug use and stuff like that, they're trying to rehabilitate themselves, and um, they uh, didn't feel uh, safe there. And uh, but it's just not much good for the government to, uh, you know, 
put everybody in uh, uh, apartments and uh, then be homeless again. Got yeah, a- if you're perpetuating, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I just got to give you 10 seconds, Gregory, because we've got a big uh, lineup of, of other people yep. who would like to talk to. Anything else you'd like to quickly add? Yeah, just uh, 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 that in general. It's one thing that uh, uh, got to be uh, considered the the, the fact of why the uh, yep. the homeless got to be fixed before the uh, uh, place uh, can be uh, found and uh, and that. Thank you very much, and Merry Christmas. All right. Thank you for your call, Gregory. Appreciate it. Uh, Gail, you want to talk about housing. You're on line five. What's your perspective? You there? About the house. I'd like to talk about the housing on uh, Jensen Camp Road. Uh, It's run run by the Newfoundland Labrador Housing. Um, I don't understand why they don't take any responsibility in looking after it. Um, I'll go back to the summer. I made two calls to to, uh, the office. I got a hold of the supervisor, and I said to him, who mows the grass? Who cuts the grass? He said, well, they're supposed to buy their own lawnmowers. And I said to him, are you kidding me? Did you ever grow up in the housing? And he said, no. And I said, well, when my mother and father came home from work, they never, ever came home with a handy-dandy lawnmower. And uh, I said, who can afford that? And I said, now I know they, people have to take responsibility for where they live, but it's not happening with all of them. The two N1s looked after the property, and about two years ago, I gave this gentleman a whippersnipper there, and he does at least three. He's an older man, and nobody does anything. There's no bushes cut. There's no trees cut. There's a door that can't even be opened. The gentleman must have to use the back door. And there's no way to pull your garbage down. So what's happened is um, the steps are old, so they're high. There's, there's three steps going up and then two. So you can't, the wheels are too big on the bins to pull them down over the hills, and you can't get, you, you can't drag them through the snow. So I help two people. Now, there are three roads over for me, but I, I feel so bad for these two people that can't drag those bins down. And one time, if it's snowing, I had to get this flag a gentleman down to help me pull the bin down through the snow. Like there's ample room out in the back of the housing for the city council to go around and collect the garbage bins without putting them on the main road there. They can't get the bins down. And nobody is like taking responsibility for this. So the garbage is left there. They're overflowing. There's bags on the ground. Nobody's bringing them down. You might see five or six out of 24, but you're not seeing. They're they're overflowing. And then they're, they're putting their stuff out, their sofas. And I said to the guys, there's a big neon green sofa on the lawn. Are you going to come get that? And he what said, he well, they're supposed to... Pardon? I said, what did he say? He said, uh, well, they're supposed to phone 311. I said, I understand that, but they're all not, and there are language barriers that they don't know who to call. You don't phone them and say, he said, well, we don't know it's there. And I said, this sofa could have been picked up by a satellite in Mars. It was that bright. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, but like he, like he, he, and then I got a new supervisor when I called down. Now, well, I'm not phoning because I'm phoning because I care. And yeah, yeah, you're not being a nuisance. The, no, and the houses across the street. What about their resale value? The, and there's like there's a dog house outside. When's the last time anybody put their dog out in a dog house? So it must be there 20 years. The windows, some windows are broke. The doors are not seen. Now, this is just the outside. Mildew on all the places. Like, I just like to know between the city council has to restructure their garbage pickup for Jensen Camp. They, they cannot, there's no way that an able-bodied person, can, even if you if you got a, anything wrong with you, you're not getting it down without help. There's no way. Well, you make a really good point about people intend to do things that are helpful, but then they don't really think through all of the other things that you've pointed out there. And that's not a new problem, as as you know. The point about the lawnmowers I take, as I recall years ago, um, Newfoundland and Labrador housing would cut the grass themselves for uh, many of those those housing units. Yes, but if you go down down to Hoyles Avenue, Grave Street, Empire Avenue, they're all cut. And uh, St. John's uh, housing does theirs down in Pleasantville. But none of these are caught on Jensen Kemp. You, if you had a beagle dog, you wouldn't see it going through. You wouldn't see it. It's, it's, it's. Or you'd see my horrible. mother chasing it in the old days when she was with the SPCA. <laughs> yeah, you never. You, you could, you could play hide and seek in that grass. That's how bad it is. But right, I just I got find it. like the city, like the city council, and instead of sending a corps of engineers up there to see what's wrong with the garbage pickup there, go up and see for yourself. It's not working. Gail, I loved having you on. You're right to the point. Thanks for the call this morning. Good to talk to you. Have have a good day. All right. Take care. Time for a break here on VOCM. Before we go to that, who do I have here? I'll tell you you're coming up. Earl, Pauline, Jim Winter, you're next as we continue here on VOCM's Open Line. Welcome back. Tim Powers in for Patty. Working down the list here. A lot of eager people this morning, and that's awesome. Keep calling. But right now we're going to hear from Earl on line two. Earl, are you there? I was here, man. I was here. First of all, uh, Tim, I'd like like to say Merry Christmas to the VLCM staff and all the listeners out there. Well, thank you very much, Earl. Very kind of you, and to you as well. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, my my problem, I uh, I found the flesh I'm seeking for this morning, uh, Tim, is the the jump in the light bills this month. Okay. They were they were crazy. I uh, I, I live in a very well constructed, well heated, insulated home, and uh, it doesn't seem to matter what you do with with your heating, you know. I'll, I'll, Close, you watch it and everything else. Mine is set on comfort zone in the fall of the year. It's left there till I turn it out in the summertime. Uh, last month, my bill was one fifty. Okay. When I opened it the other day, it was two twenty eight. Not wow. insignificant. Uh, Not insignificant. No. Seventy eight dollar jump. But last year, at the same time, it was one eighty eight. The year before, at the same time, it was 176. So that's in that, uh, that that's uh, very significant there. So I phoned up uh, Lincoln Power yesterday. Now the thing is, you don't get to talk to any anyone that can help you, Patty. They they got those uh, people there on the front lines that's answering the questions mm-hmm. and taking the taking the the 
heated discussions sometimes. But I, I got to say, uh, Tim, I, I spoke to those people and I told them, I said, listen, I don't envy your job and I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat you. I'm not going to badger you or anything. I, I know that you're only there trying to answer the questions that we've got. So I said, why did the bills take such a nasty jump with no raise in electricity? And what they tell you? And one young, one young lady told me, sir, she said that November's, November's temperatures were equal to last February's. Oh, I said, so you're basing on, yes, sir, it's, it's based on the, on the, I said, of course, I would understand that. The colder it is, I guess, the more uh, it's going to go up. So I said, that's, that's, it's entirely, you're saying what it's based on, that's what they go, well, she said, you know, she said, it was colder, your bill is going to be higher. I said, okay. I said, listen, I got to go, I'll get back to you. So they, little did they know, I've been compiling the wet, the weather, Tim, for about 20 years. <laughs> I, mar- I mark it down every day. I mark down the weather, the wind direction, the wind chill, even the sunrise and sunset. I mark it all. Okay. I went back and I got February, last, February 23, and I fought up against November of this year. You know, eight, nine, ten months apart, whatever. Tim, it was black and white. There was absolutely no comparison whatsoever. I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. And I mean, it was crazy. The the, the bill, the the temperature. The, you know, you, February you were talking minus 17, minus 18, minus 15, up as far as minus two. But then, you know, February, uh, November you had plus one, plus two, plus eight, plus six, mostly through the month. You might have had one day below, one or two days below. So I phoned back again last evening. This guy started to feed me the song, same and that, uh, same song and that. I said, "Listen, so you're basing it on how cold the weather was. That's the reason my late bill." He said, "Yes, sir." So I so said, "Where does case, usage? I'm, where does usage fit in this? I mean, usually these bills are driven by usage. I get they can make an argument that it's colder, but that's great if the usage is increases increases, then that makes more sense. So where did you end up getting, Earl? I got to give you about a two I minutes." Never, no, I, I never got nowhere with the usage. I never got no, the usage didn't come into it. I tried to explain to him. He said, "Sir, said the colder the weather." So I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to you now on the colder the weather." So I read them out about half of each month. I said, "The rest of the month goes the same." If you're saying that is based on the cold temperature, Newfoundland Power owes me and the people of the, my community <laughs> a big rebate. Okay. And he wasn't for that, I imagine. They're they're looking. Listen, they're looking for another seven percent raise the coming year. This coming year, Tim. Oh my! That, and that's not easy listen, on people. Uh, uh, listen, people should get on get on this, and they should beat this, Tim. Because I mean, we're being unduly and unfairly charged by those light bills, and it seems like there's nobody out there to step in and help the little man. You know, I'm a pensioner myself, Tim, so I got to be very frugal with what I'm getting. I got to watch every dollar as it comes in and goes out. And uh, and and they're not making it easy for me. No, they're not. All right, I've got to leave it there, Earl. Thank you for raising it. Anybody else wants to call about the light bills, they can. Your your points are well taken. Good to talk to you this morning. Thank you so much, Tim. Have a good one, bud. You take care. All right, that was Earl on the light bills. You want to give us a call? Tell us your experience with them. I, again, not an expert in the pricing of this, but something does seem a bit strange. But I'll dig into it now. Uh, she's been waiting patiently on line three. Uh, Pauline, you want to throw a bouquet to Pam yeah. Parsons? Holy Go ahead and God, let her rip. Yeah, she can sure sing, buddy. <laughs> I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, Tim. Well, I love thank the you. way you laugh. 
<laughs> well, I, I got to laugh at my, I got to laugh or it's crying instead. Yeah, but thank I you, love, Polly. I love it. I love it. Were you, are you from here? Yes, I'm from St. I'm a townie, though. Are you from? Are you? Like You're a townie, from, are you? Bless your heart. From, I miss Patty Daly because, but Pam was playing, was singing a Christmas song the other night, her, and she was playing the guitar, and I want to congratulate her. She did an excellent job. And where was that, Pauline? What was that Here for? Here on the, on the, on the t- our TV. Okay. NTV News. NTV News. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she, and what was, Pam, what was it for? I, I know Pam. I've talked to Pam on the oh, radio just, a few times. She was just singing the show. I guess she must, uh, uh, she was, what, what was she on for, George? Something for Christmas. I was talking oh, about okay. there, George, because I said something for Christmas. But Pam was singing a Christmas song, and she said, "Come on, Claudette, sing." And Pam was playing the guitar, and she was singing. Oh my God, she lifted up my spirits. Well, I, you know, by the way, I, I love hope the you... guitar. See, I'm from the I, West Coast. I'm from Stephenville. Oh, you well, you So you ever do any mummering then, or what? Oh yes, at one time, me and my brother Roddy, but he's dead now. Oh, Roddy, <laughs> Roddy was from Colebrook. <laughs> Well, how how long's Roddy been gone? Roddy's been gone a long time, about five, six years, I guess. Okay. But Cozzy Russell used to chum around with my brother Roddy. Cozzy had the funeral home in Stevenville. Okay, all right. You must know Cozzy, Tim. I I don't know. I haven't been to Stevenville in a long time, Pauline. But listen, I do hope... I do hope that, it, you know, that is George, the husband in the house, is it? Because if George is listening yeah. to Open Line and that's another man, boy, you're going to need more than Pam singing to get you out of trouble. No, no, I'm not too worried. About, I'm not too worried. I can handle myself. Don't you dare worry. <laughs> I'm from the West Coast, buddy. <laughs> I love the way you laugh. And now you're going to tell me it's the snow is better in the West Coast. We complain too yeah. much on the East Coast. We yeah. do all of that, right? Yeah. yeah. I was born in St. George's, really. Okay. And my mother moved to Stephenville. Okay. Anyway, anything else you want to add, Pauline? No, nothing else. We... I just want to congratulate Pam. She did an excellent job. All right. Well, I'm sure she's listening. She's always a good God listener. God love her. All right. She's well, good wonderful. to talk to you. Wonderful. Yeah. Take care, Pam. Uh, Tim, <laughs> have a nice Christmas. <laughs> All right. It. I I will, Pauline. Take care. Yeah. There you Merry go. Christmas. Bye. 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 Now, who knew? Well, I, Pam, of course, had a career in, in broadcasting. Now, that's interesting. Let me see. Somebody who had a career in broadcasting went on to politics. Hmm. hmm. There have been quite a few people who have sat in this chair and, and done it. One guy who went on to become the premier, Joey, I think his name was. Not an unusual transition, but, you know, that all leads us to 4 p.m. today. What is going to happen in uh, Conception Bay, East Bell Island? We'll see. And, Pam, you're always welcome on the show. I didn't know you had the ability to sing, but that, uh, that, that is, a, is a great gift. I am not surprised there, and good that it brought people some happiness. What a first hour. It has been awesome. Lots of great calls, and I want to keep encouraging you to give us a call. A lot on people's minds, certainly homelessness and the cost of things. That's what we see in all our polling data. And I will say this. uh, We're going to go to news shortly, but when we come back from news, we will have the former president of the Canadian Sealers Association, Jim Winter, on to join us. He's got a bone to pick with bernie davis so bernie if you're listening you might want to go get a tea or a coffee and come back in about five or six minutes and hear what's on jim's mind and i want to hear what's on yours after the news time for the break here on vocm's open line 
Make a request anytime by calling 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. And your request just might win you a cozy VOCM winter toque. Your Merry Christmas station. Your VOCM. Welcome back to Open Line. Uh, Tim Power sitting in for Patty today. Well, our next guest has been waiting for um, a little bit, and I appreciate that. And that is the former uh, Canadian Sealers Association president, Jim Winter, who wants to talk about a picture that he saw posted at COP28 involving um, Bernie Davis, our climate and environment, or environment and climate change minister, and, uh, and a gentleman by the name of Rick Smith. Now, Jim... And so uh, just so you know, I, I know Rick Smith pretty well and may have a slightly different view than yours, but you give yours first, uh, but I didn't want to surprise you with that. So go ahead. Yeah, fair enough, Tim. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, well, Rick, of course, says, you know, well, first of all, the two pic- there were two pictures, one from uh, okay. Egypt and one from uh, Montreal. Uh, after the Egypt one, a couple of people contacted Bernie and advised him of Rick Smith's background. And uh, Rick Smith was a major, major player with the International Fund for Animal Welfare. And he was also designated by them as the point man to try and get the EU bans in place, uh, which he succeeded in doing. And uh, as you know, that has been extremely detrimental to Canadian sealers in Newfoundland, in Quebec, and particularly in the north, in Nunavut and in Labrador. But because it, mainly because they have less resources to fall back on once the market was destroyed. So uh, Rick Smith, shall we say kindly, is not really a friend of Newfoundland. And for Bernie to buddy up with him uh, and say, oh, my, you know, he's a great guy. He's going to do something for us in the future. And then cop it all off. Oh, dear. Did I say cop it all off? Top it all off. Clever. Clever. <laughs> Top it all off by saying bygones will be bygones. I think there are probably thousands of people in Newfoundland who have been hurt by the propaganda that Smith and his organization have done for decades, decades, that really, Bernie, are not going to accept bygones be bygones. And I can pretty well assure you that uh, Rick's new incarnation, I mean, the, the, the glory days of Andy Sealing are over, so he needs a new new incarnation to go. So he's created a new NGO called uh, Canadian Climate Institute, and they're going to go out and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. And I will bet you a dollar to a Cadillac that one of the things that will come out of this will be saying, oh, we've done an audit. We're not just a fancy way of saying we reviewed a bunch of papers that other people wrote, other researchers did, and our review of those papers indicates that there are serious problems in this fishery or that fishery or the other fishery, and you guys should stop fishing. I'm almost guaranteed that that'll that'll happen. Anyway, be that as it may, Bernie's association with Rick is a bit of an insult to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, and he doesn't appear to want to listen to anybody's opinion other than his own. So he's basically an embarrassment of Premier Fury. And the idea, he came out and he said he was networking. Networking. Uh, That's a wonderful word. Little Minnow Bernie is wandering around in Dubai at the best time of the year to be in Dubai, by the way. It's perfect weather. Uh, and all the big guys are there. And do you think anybody's paying attention to little Murdy? No, not really. Other than somebody on the make, 
Jim, can I can I can can I just ask you a couple of questions? Sure, because Mike. Go for it. Just to offer a little bit of counter. So uh, Rick sure. Smith, uh, you rightly point out he was with uh, IFAW International Fund for Animal Welfare for a long time. He certainly was um, involved in anti-sealing activities and trying to find a. I, I don't know so much the Europe side, but I know in Canada uh, was very focused on trying to find a. He would describe it as a balance there. All to say, I guess my. I don't guess. I ask you this: How long does his history of work he did twenty years ago? stay relevant because the other thing that happened with Rick as you well know um, uh, Rick had left IFA and he was going to be the chief of staff to um, Jack Layton who was then the leader of the NDP Jack Harris uh, opposed that for the reasons you are critical of of Rick and his role and Rick never got that job so you know he's he's gotten scarred just just let me finish Jim Jim Jim, just let me finish the point Yeah, no, no, but that's the point. So he's has he not paid a price for his IFA background? He has not worked in the fish or sealing world for about 20 years, to the best of my knowledge. So is he always culpable in in the eyes of of you and others? Yeah, because uh, the damage he did lives on, and he lives on. And like I just said, I will guarantee you, Pretty well. I can't guarantee you 100%, but I would bet a dollar to a Cadillac that this climate institute, the Canadian Climate Institute that he's got fronted, is going to come out pretty soon, one of these days, with saying, oh, you should stop fishing this or that or the other thing because the climate is changing the fishery. They'll have something. Rick Smith's history is destroying things. He's against stuff. He's against everything. Anyway, be that as it may, Patty, you got your opinion. Timmy, no, no, Tim, it's fair Tim. Enough. No, 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 that, that, that's fair. But what I'm trying to get at is is what is fair, right? Because you say Rick is it destroying is things. And, yeah. and and you made the point about the, the ceiling. I mean, you know better than I, though. It wasn't one person. I mean, the European Union, many others have been involved in challenging the industry. And I say this to you no. as somebody whose family came from the ceiling industry. My mother's family, the Crosbys, as you know, seal fish for a while. Yes, so I'm not some not some some anti advocate here. My point is, though, how long do people pay for things? The second thing I'd say, I guess, which I think you're being a little bit unfair to Rick, is you know there are other things that he has done that have been very helpful. For example, he was instrumental in the banning of um, bisphenol A plastic products which are not good for people so i just think as you have articulated as i'm trying to articulate let the public judge you know how he should be scored and that's all we're both doing this morning anything else you want to add on all of that yeah well basically it's very interesting how we get his money uh to find this thing if you go into the website it's very clearly stated he got his money from environment climate change canada now, that's a Canadian government yes, it is, uh, yeah. department, as you probably well know, more commonly known as ECC. C, how many Cs? And uh, that's <laughs> run by a guy called Stephen Gibo. Yes. Now, Stephen uh, Gibo, of course, was a Greenpeace leader in Quebec, 
a Greenpeace activist who he jumped off the Canadian off the CN Tower. The CN Tower, to, yes, yes, media yes. attention, you know, and so on. Uh, so these guys are all NGO anti-sealing activists, and it's highly unlikely that they didn't know each other. And yet uh, now we have a minister funding this new organization for four or five years. You can read the thing and see whatever it is. So that's that's really interesting. Uh, and, and on that one, and on that one, just let me say, I, I, I certainly wouldn't offer the same defense of Stephen Gibo that I would of Rick Smith, only because of, I've known Rick, and I, you know, I think you do have date stamps and all of that. But you're, those are not that your points previously weren't fair, but looking at the funding and as you, your organization is well documented and done before, it's important to look at those funding links so people can figure out um, as best they want to interpret it how things work. Anyway, I'll give you one more that's minute, true, Jim, yeah. and then I got yeah, well, Yeah, well, basically, that's fine. And Gibo also has got involved with HSI, that's Humane Society International. They're yeah. the crowd that brought McCartney over to the ice. And uh, what he's done is he said that... That went well, didn't it? Look forward ...to ban um, ivory imports into, Can into Canada. Now, that's a good thing on the surface. However, if you look into the industry, the ivory, the elephant industry, the people who run the anti-poaching programs in Africa, they say that banning ivory sales hurts them because they can't get the funds to run their animal anti-poaching operations. So it's not a simple thing. It's like sealing. People paint it yes. out to be one thing when it is actually something else. Anyway, be that as it may, Gibo seems to have a history of being involved with all these kinds of organizations, mm -hmm. yet he said himself when he became a minister, he was not going to give up his activism. But being a minister and being an activist with government money, that's two different things. Last thing, premier yeah, Fury, 75 years of confederation, uh, Tim, is it Tim or Kim? Tim, Jim, like Jim. you. Okay. I got a Sorry T, you got a J. Go ahead, buddy. There we are, there we are. Anyway, listen, uh, Confederation, it's a classic example of the right thing done the wrong way for the wrong reasons. I would think there's nobody in, well, very few people anyway, in Newfoundland who would deny that joining Canada in 1949 was the absolute right thing to do. At that point in time, as Premier Fury mentioned in one of his uh, remarks the other day, we were essentially a third world nation. We were suffering from all the third world diseases, rickets, tuberculosis, carrier, you know, you name it, we had it. And joining Canada eradicated that. The Canadian social system is what started us on the path to where we are today. It destroyed the truck system which is what was keeping us in the system where we were. The problem is, and anybody who is really interested in politics, and I know in your family you are, go back and read Greg Malone's book, Tell the Newfoundlanders. And basically that argues about the very way that the thing was done. Not that it was the right or wrong thing to do, but the way it was done. So I think Premier Fury is right to be celebrating 75 years of Confederation. There is no doubt that we would not be the people we are today had we not joined Canada. Now, there were people who said, oh, well, we should have yep. gone with the Americans. And Americans were very popular in Newfoundland at that period in time. No, oh, they were that throwing a lot of money right around answer. at the time and a lot That's of opportunity. Right. That would not All have right. been the right answer because the American social system just would not have been able to drag us out of the morass, out of the depths of poverty that we were in. So, yes, cheers to Premier Fury. Do celebrate 75 years of confederation. Do celebrate the fact that it was the right thing to do. 
do celebrate the fact that it's been good for the for all of our people the vast majority anyway maybe some of the merchants weren't so happy but that's okay anyway do celebrate it <laughs> coming from a merchant family i can attest to the dissatisfaction with confederation at the time anyway i will leave it Crosby, there was a Crosby that was uh, involved with the movement to try and associate us with America. No more power Strange. to him. But I think Smallwood did the right thing. Wrong reasons, wrong way, but right thing. Sounds like a lot of Canadian history, how it plays out. All right, Jim, thank you for the call. Good to talk to you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Take care. That's uh, Jim Winter, the former uh, president of the Canadian Sealers Association. All right, sorry. That went a little long, but I was there a lot of things to go through on that call, as there are on every call. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Sandra, Charlie, Pam, Paul, you're all next here on VOCM. Uh, the pain and suffering one must go through when hosting radio. Now, going to Sandra on line two. Sandra, you want to talk about a high school exam? You there? My question, and it, just to put it in context, of course, when uh, COVID happened, understandably, exams were canceled at the high school level, including the right. public exams. And, of course, now the debate is, now that we are back, I suppose, to normal, whatever that is, uh, what's happening now? My question as a grandmother with uh, kids at various high schools in the city, it doesn't seem like everybody's on the same page. Some schools have exams. Some schools don't. Now, I'm not talking about the regular tests. I'm talking about end-of-term exams. So I'm wondering if someone from the Department of Education or from the school district can provide some clarity as to what procedure the schools are following so that everybody is doing the same thing. So that's yeah, we, all we, I actually asked, was wondering if someone could reach out or find the answer to that question, because I really don't know who to call at that other level. Well, I, I know the government often listens to this program, so we'll see if we can uh, get somebody from the Department of Education to answer that. You're, you're right. I remember when I was in high school uh, a bit at Newfoundland, you'd, you'd have the January exams and then you'd have the June exams, and that was standard for a long time, and then there were some changes made. But I can't comment with any degree of accuracy on that. We will look into it for you, Sandra. Anything else you want to add or no? No, that's that's excellent. Uh, thanks so much. and. Uh Welcome home. Thank you, Sandra. Take care. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And same to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Um, Okay, Dave, if we can get somebody from the Department of Education who might know. Pardon? Oh, well, well, we will find out. All right, apparently I have to go to a rock star next. She's a legend. Not only is she an MHA, she's apparently Newfoundland's Tina Turner. Little did I know, Pam Parsons. How are you today? (laughs) What an intro. Good morning, Tim, and uh, certainly thank you for taking my call. And I, I, I heard your call earlier with the lady on the West Coast, and I certainly want to extend a big thank you to her. So thank you so much for that. Uh, that made my day, actually, that lovely compliment. And Tim, what, we and what was it day? for? Were you just doing it randomly, or was it for charity, or uh, what, what, what got you to get the guitar out? Well, I tell you, it was for the 25th anniversary, the launch of the annual famous boat lighting in Port Grace, the Christmas Okay, boat. yes. You and I have talked about the boat lighting before, but you do some singing around it. All right. 
I do. I actually um, you know, I, I am a musician. Um, I do a lot of charity work these days. And, of course, for my own just personal enjoyment and with family and whatnot. I've been playing music, I guess, since I was a kid, since, oh my gosh, back as far as I can remember, eight or nine years old. And I tell you, it's good for the soul. <laughs> and it's good. Yeah, you know it what? Is. And hopefully, maybe one day I'll be able to take my, my guitar in the House of Assembly and play <laughs> <laughs> play a song in there but um it was for the boat lighting and it's the 25th anniversary of, the, of our of our portagrave christmas boat lighting and uh, just just under 60 boats now are all lit up um as well as the whole the entire community all the way down the portagrave peninsula from Neat right on through portagrave um so i certainly encourage everyone you know to make the trip make the excursion around the bay this christmas uh, the lights will be on till old christmas day and I'd be oh, remiss if I didn't mention Joyce Morgan. And um, Tim, I'm probably I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with Joyce. She yep. is the lead organizer on this amazing project. And as a matter of fact, Joyce was recognized this year um, with the Seniors Distinction Award for her involvement and her dedication to community. So a big congratulations to Joyce and everybody who participates in this boat lighting to make it ex- what it is every year. All right. Now, before I let you go, now I'm asking this for a friend. I don't know if you know him, but why, you know, what is the biggest difference between being a broadcaster and maybe being a politician, Pam? <laughs> this well, friend wants to know. This friend. Okay. Well, people, people ask me that, of course, as, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I, I am a journalist. Or I was a journalist prior to uh, becoming involved with politics, being in the NMHA. Um, well, I tell you, I use the same skills in my journalism career as I do in my political career. It's about news and facts and information, and that's what constituents want. That's what I find when I'm on doorsteps okay. or if I'm at you know, the local Tim Hortons or at organ, you know, any community event or just chatting with people. It's important. People want the truth. They want the facts. And, I mean, so I, t- I, I use those skills that I use as a journalist without a bias, and I you know, present the facts and the news and information because there's, there is a lot of information that don't make it out to the public. Um, and, it, and, I mean, there is so much information, even with regards to grants and supports that are available for constituents. I mean, not everybody knows about these programs and grants. And yeah. so, that, that, so that's, that's probably the most important thing, and to be able to communicate those points to the people. Well, I'm, I'm sure that that friend is listening. All right, Pam, thanks very much. <laughs> Appreciate the call today. Merry Christmas to you, Tim, and to your mom and all the family, and of course, and everybody across our beautiful province, Newfoundland and Labrador. Have a safe and Merry Christmas, and let's remember those in need and check in on our seniors and neighbors. All well, so Merry Christmas to you. Take care, Pam. Bye. Thanks. All right, uh, Charlie, you're hanging around there. Always good to have you on. you got a couple of weighty, well, I don't know if they're weighty. Well, one of them is. I certainly know Israel is there. Charlie, what's what's going on? How are you? Oh, good morning, Tim. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Doing fine, thanks. Tim, I'll get at these quickly. Very quickly to Leslie, who was on earlier. Uh, yes. I, I, I thought she made a very good point that uh, we look to governments too much, and a lot of people are doing a lot of good work. When we have problems like, like she was talking about, it appeals to the better angels in our nature, so mm-hmm. that's good. I want to I go to the math thing, and uh, uh, yes. school thing, I should say. When we were in school, uh, back in the 60s and that, we were learning about the Magna Carta and uh, the battles <laughs> there and English kings and so on. Yeah, absolutely. And in the meantime, the Mideast had been going on uh, mm-hmm. probably for uh, 12 or 15 years, and we learned not a thing about it. Mm-hmm. When climate change was introduced in the 80s by scientists and so on, we had children going through in the 90s and now... And they weren't learning about climate change. They were learning about anything but that in, in any kind of detail. And uh, I'm giving you these two examples to show you that the uh, 
the, the, the curriculum is, is, is so far back, we don't mm-hmm. introduce stuff to talk about today's world uh, till decades after. And uh, when you talk about math, all the problems with math, I would submit that the most of the problems there have been because we do too much abstract math. We don't do enough of the basics for any length of time. If you look at those tests, you'll see a lot of them are on volume and things. Uh, we act as if everybody's going to be an engineer or, or, or a rocket scientist. Yet I think it's about 5% that probably would use uh, um uh, abstract math. These people are going to thrive anyways, so we act as if everybody has got to learn this stuff. If you talk to a pharmacist, uh, a nurse, uh, an accountant, they don't. They, they, even these people don't uh, do, do all that stuff. So it's it, the lobby in, in Newfoundland, the, the math lobby, has been too powerful. They kept tinkering with math uh, way back, confused everybody, people ended up hating it, and uh, they're the biggest problem as far as I'm concerned. Concerned. Your science curriculum in Ontario, they've made changes that reflect today's world. In Newfoundland, we're still in the dark ages. And that's, that's, that's about all I would say on the math. Oh, by the way, the transference to carpentry and so on, these lower math scores, look, people are going to go into these areas, they're going to pick it up uh, uh, anyway, either from their, their aides or because they have an interest in it. So I wouldn't worry too much about a transference of the these things on math uh, um, tests to these other trades and so on. I think that's way, way uh, emphasized, way over. Anyway, do you want to? I just on see. That? You know what? Can I just say on the uh, on on the Middle East uh, comment you make? You're so right about that. When I when we were at school, and and again, a lot of your learning is based on your collective histories, and uh, certainly. I remember learning much more and being immersed in the Irish Troubles than anything related to the Middle East. We did touch on the Middle East, but more from a a religious history perspective than a political history perspective. Uh, uh, analysis. I mean, we did learn about, you remember the Balfour Declaration and Lord Balfour. and We, part did, of his, we didn't learn part, that. Yeah, well, the, they gave it to us to that 20 or 30 years later, Charlie, but not to a, the degree that would would help, uh, help today. Anything else you wanted to quickly offer before I go to break? Yes, I wanted to talk about the Israeli thing very quickly. Uh, I've, be, I've been saying all along that uh, the Israeli government, and this is not anti-Semitism, I'm not talking about Jewish people, I'm talking about the Israeli government, they, I, as far as I'm concerned, they, they, they invited this uh, uh, thing that happened w- w- with Hamas, and I'll give you three reasons for it very quickly. They were funneling money to Hamas. They were op- hoping to, uh, they knew a lot of that was going to, uh, to, to, to weapons. They had knowledge of the plan a year before, and then to top it all off, the slow response, they could have had soldiers in there within half an hour. The slow response, nobody can answer that. They wanted this. They want to destroy Gaza. They don't want a, uh, a two-state solution. And this is playing right into their hands. And uh, that's about all I can say. I could, there's more detail, but I'll leave it. Yeah, you, you and I could get into that. I, I, I have slightly different perspective uh, on Hamas, but, uh, but I appreciate your perspective. Got to leave it there. Always, always good to talk to you, Charlie. Take care. Have a, good, uh, have a good Christmas if I don't talk to you again. Yes, thank you, Tim. All right. Bye-bye.
Bye. Uh, all right, time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. When we come back, we've got Paul Lane. Uh, always good to talk to Paul. And Tina Neary, who is the PC candidate for Conception Bay East Bell Island. We'll talk to Paul and Tina after the break here on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Welcome back to Open Line. We crossed the halfway mark, and we're flying lots of great calls this morning. Great to be here with you. I'm Tim Powers in for Patty. Now I'm going to go to uh, independent MHA, Mount Pearl, Southlands, Paul Lane. Paul, how are you? I'm not bad, Tim. How are you doing today? I am good. What are you, What have you been up to? I always see you up always talking on all manner of affordability issues, which are important to do. What's, uh, what's on the docket today? Well, yeah, Tim, I, I, I try to, of course, as an independent member, um, it uh, can sometimes be a challenge trying to keep up on uh, everything. There are so many, uh, so many issues, so many departments and programs, and so on. Uh, it's hard to strike on them all sometimes. Um, one one area which I, I, I haven't uh, admittedly spent, you know, put put the time into perhaps as much as uh, arguably I, I should and, and others should uh, has been the issue. Uh, I think around homelessness. I, I think it's mm-hmm. because Certainly not making excuses, but I mean, certainly in my district, it's not something that, you know, uh, gets brought to my attention all the time, uh, albeit there's no doubt there are people in that circumstance uh, in Mount Pearl uh, or from Mount Pearl, and we have had, you know, instances of couch surfing, things like that. But mm-hmm. what really brought it to light, of course, was uh, Tent City, and uh, after seeing what was going on there and watching the news, I just... Uh, not just as an MHA, because I think all MHAs have a responsibility, regardless of the area you represent, to at least try to add their voice and advocate uh, to do better for everyone in our province, regardless of where they live. And um, so I, I did take the time to um, go down and, and visit Tent City. I, I spoke to some of the uh, some of the people that were staying there. I, I've had conversations with uh, some of the volunteers that are involved down there. And uh, and and recently, uh, I, I, I uh, my co- my former colleague Paul Davis had uh, reached out, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I I went to the gathering place, and uh, I was down there for a couple of hours. We went through the gathering place, all the program services, spoke to the staff, spoke to some of the people that are availing of the services. I have to say that I left the gathering place, uh, not not that it was really a surprise to me, but I have to say I left there. Uh, feeling that uh, those guys really have their act together. They're doing amazing things there for people, lots of amazing services, and the staff that I spoke to were certainly very enthusiastic, top-notch, and I know they're, I feel they're doing all they can. Um, but one of the bigger concerns that, I, that I've been hearing from people about is around some of these private, um, private shelter situations. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I believe that uh, Jim Din, my colleague, had highlighted, and uh, I think the CBC had done uh, a news story, a couple of news stories a while back about some of these uh, places that were not fit really for people to be staying in. And the big question that came to my mind was, well, what about the standards? Where are the standards? And to the best of my knowledge, and certainly uh, if you can get the minister on to speak to it, would be great, but 
My understanding is that there are no standards in place for these private uh, shelter situations, even though we are paying uh, a lot of money to put people uh, in these shelters. And, you know, if you have, uh, for example, personal care homes, um, yes. the government there are is there. rules and guidelines, yeah. yeah they're yeah. always here. They have rules and guidelines. They're there. They're doing inspections. They're making sure that proper food is being served and meets the canned food guide that the place is safe and that, you know, uh, there's all these standards in place. Same thing with childcare facilities. I know people uh, who, who, you know, who own childcare facilities and they say that uh, regularly they see people from government showing up, inspecting, saying, oh, look, you know, you got to, you can't use this toy. You can't use that toy. You got to, you can't give this food. You have to give that food. You, you know, you need a, a smoke detector here or the bathroom that's downstairs got to be moved upstairs, whatever. They're always there inspecting and they're always enforcing standards. But to the best of my knowledge, uh, when it comes to our most vulnerable people uh, in some of these private shelters, it's uh, again, it's my understanding we don't necessarily have those standards in place. So uh, I would call upon certainly the minister again today uh, that if that is the case and we don't have them, uh, then we need to develop standards for these uh, for these uh, shelters. And again, I'm not talking about the, the gathering place. Not that they shouldn't have standards as well. But yeah, no, no. You, yeah. Instance, but Paul, just, Paul how do you? Together. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. How do you do sure. that? In real time, because these are, look, as you know, good policy takes time to make, but the problem is now, although it's been there before, but where do you strike the balance in your view? I think your your well, call for standards is important, but how do you strike a balance making sure that people are, if they can't get a public space, have some space? Where do you find a balance? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, what it comes down to um, uh, is, is that um, – you know, when we have people that, that, that need shelter, it, it also has to be safe shelter. So, yeah. so we need to, again, ensure there are standards in place before we would place somebody in a private shelter, as an example. Because it was very striking to me that once that story came out that, that, uh, that Jim Dean had, had gotten out there about some of these unfit conditions, the minister came forward and said, oh, well, I'm going to get staff to go and inspect that place. I mean, arguably, why wasn't the place inspected before we put... If, if we have the wherewithal to be able to put somebody in a shelter and there's staff assigned to doing that, why would we not have the wherewithal to ensure that before we put someone in there that the place is actually inhabitable? And why would we not have the wherewithal to regularly, uh, not just have standards, but to regularly do inspections and make sure that everything is up to code and working the way it should. If we can do it in childcare, and we can do it with uh, with personal care, then we can do it here. There is absolutely no difference and no excuse. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're simply taking a concept that we already have in place for childcare and for personal care, and we're simply applying it to these shelters no differently. Uh, you, we're putting standards in place. You must adhere to them, and we're going to be there to inspect them and make sure that you do. And if you don't live up to the standards, then we won't be utilizing your services. It's as simple, it's as, simple as that. And right. if in the interim, while we're trying to get these shelters, if we have to utilize things like hotels or whatever, which government does now. have done before, yeah. We have to do. Okay. But All right, Paul. These are human beings we're talking about, uh, regardless of their circumstance. And I would remind everybody, 
that anybody, anybody, you or I, could develop a mental illness tomorrow. Anybody can develop an addiction. Addictions are not Mm -hmm. just people who decide to go to a party and try drugs. Sometimes they started at a doctor's prescription pad. I've had people in my office that that's how it started. So it can happen to anybody. We have to show kindness. We have to show compassion. We have to treat people humanely. And uh, that means when it comes to these places that we cannot go putting people in unsafe conditions and government has a role to ensure there are standards in place and that those standards are enforced. Good to talk to you, Paul. Uh, perspectives heard. And if the uh, Minister Osborne wants to come on or, or others, uh, Minister Abbott, who want to come on and speak to that, they are more than welcome to do that. Thanks, Paul. Good to talk yep. to you. Thank you, Tim. If I don't talk to you between now and then, Merry Christmas to you, uh, you and your family. You too as well, Paul. Take care. Bye. All right, bye. Uh, Let me do this. Dave, let's go to a break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll talk to Tina, George, and Mike Keel. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Just before I go to Tina uh, Neary, we're going to go to George Murray at Breakwater Books uh, to talk about a, and George is the marketing manager there, and I love Breakwater, a book sale that uh, Breakwater has going on. George, how are you this morning? Great, Tim. How are you doing? I am good. Tell us about your sale. Yeah, we've got our annual book blitz sale that we do every year at this time. So it's a one-day only sale where everything in the store is 50% off. We also, uh, yeah, so it's a great time to get some of those, uh, you know, those big books that have really high production value, <laughs> uh, you know, ones that are that are much more uh, expensively priced uh, because of the production values and so forth. But also, you know, you can pick up things like your, you know, your mystery series by Kevin Major or, you know, historical by Trudy Morgan Cole, those kinds of things. But also, one of the things that we like to do in giving everyone the deal is also talk, uh, get uh partner up with a charity like in this case we're doing a food drive for the community food sharing association so everyone who comes in we're asking them if they could bring in some kind of non-perishable food item uh, and uh, we'll donate at the end uh, to the the food sharing association and um, uh, try to spread the cheer a little bit further this christmas um can you get it online too uh george Uh, you know i'm not there today so i uh, would get Great question and absolutely true. So there's a code you can use at checkout online. Uh, we can deliver anywhere in, uh, anywhere in the world, really, uh, but uh, all across Canada, all across the island. So if you're not in town and you can't make it down to One Stamps Lane, where we're located, where our shop is located, you can uh, use the code BLITZ, B-L-I-T-Z, uh, tw- uh, 23. So BLITZ23 uh, at checkout will apply a 50% discount to everything in your cart. You're, geez, you're going to help my holiday shopping today. Now, just before uh, I let you go, you guys have always had a fantastic reputation for many things. One of them is being a great uh, showcase and platform for Newfoundland and Labrador authors. You mentioned Trudy. Trudy and I are in the Board of Regents together. Um, and you've mentioned uh, Kevin Major. That's still the case. Is that still Breakwater's bread and butter, uh, being a platform, uh, a place where you can find all aspects of Newfoundland's literary culture. 
Absolutely. So Breakwater was formed 50 years ago this year in 1973 by Clyde Rose, who just passed, Clyde, obviously. Yeah. yeah, and as well as guys like uh, Al Pittman and Tom Daw and all the, the classics back then. And uh, the mandate was to uh, have Newfoundlanders and Labradorians telling the stories of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, but not just bringing that to the people of the island, bringing it to the rest of the Canada and the world. So, for instance, Kevin Major's Mystery Series we've sold into Germany, which is the third largest That's book market in the world yeah and it's uh in fact actually the first book is already sold out and uh you know we've got other books going into china and taiwan and we've got books all over the world so new we take newfoundland to the world to the rest of the country and to the world uh and our job is to find the new voices that are coming up uh, so we've got, you know, young people like Shelley Kawaja, who won the, the Winterset Award last year, and Bridget Canning, and, and uh, you know, um, all, all sorts of uh, diverse writers from different backgrounds and everything like that, and bringing that uh, to the people of Newfoundland, but also to the world. And that's amazing, just before I let you go. 50 years, eh, since that started. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And Clyde you know what's started. amazing? And that would be 50 years would be a milestone for any business. An oil yeah, absolutely. Business, it doesn't matter. But for a spunky little independent press, where the, you know, the big, the, this, we call ourselves the premier publisher, but I mean, this is the, this, we basically invented publishing in the, pro, in the province. And it, and, and it's, uh, 50 years later, still going strong. And that is a, a testament to the vision of Clyde, but also to his daughter, Rebecca, who is now the president. And the fact that they keep looking for the new way to sell the books, but also to, to find the best books possible to take out to the world. Well, you guys keep doing uh, the great work that you are. I always like uh, going on your site and going in to see uh, what you have. And I love seeing yeah. our books all over, uh, our being the province, uh, provinces, yeah. writers, and histories everywhere. So thank you, George. Good luck today. Thanks. Appreciate the call. Thanks. And uh, let people know about uh, breakwaterbooks.com is the site. And one stamps lane tomorrow from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Thanks very much. Blitz, right? Blitz is the uh, yeah. the code word? Blitz, All right. Blitz, there you go. Blitz 23. Thank you very much. Bye, guys. All right. Take care, George. Thank you. Uh, if you have a chance and you have uh, some dollars to spare, check it out. Uh, now, Tina Neary, she's been waiting patiently. Uh, Tina's the PC candidate for Conception Bay, East Bell Island, also counselor in Portugal Cove. But I believe, Tina, you are going to step down when the nomination or when the race officially starts. Good to have you with us today. How are you? Good morning, Tim. I'm great, thanks. And how are you? Oh, I'm okay. I'm watching this race. I think you have the radio on there, do you? I hear my voice playing back there or something. Can you turn uh, that down? No, I, I don't. Okay, never mind. That's just the voices in my head, Tina. That's probably not helpful. But <laughs> I, I, I'm looking forward to this race. It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, if, you know, if the rumor is true and Fred Hutton runs against you, uh, he's a big name. You're certainly well-known in the community because of, of your work. Uh, what made you want to do this and step up um, to the provincial level of politics from the municipal one? Well, Tim, you know, as a municipal councillor since 2017 now, I understand firsthand the needs of the municipalities. And I just believe that after listening to all of the issues that were presented with, that I was ready to take that next next step, excuse me, and, and that I have more to offer. You know, it, 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 the, these issues that have been uh, brought about by Fury's Liberal government are crippling people with the carbon tax and the sugar tax and the gas tax. And... And, you know, this is all taking place on their watch, and people are fed up and, and ready for change. And I just wanted to be a part of that. 
And what do you think it's going to take to hold on to that seat? Certainly you're coming after a very powerful, well-respected, well-liked incumbent in, in uh, David Brazel, uh, very outspoken for the riding from all issues, be it the ferry to housing to social services. How do you, as a rookie municipal, a federal provincial candidate, sorry, <laughs> municipal, a rookie provincial candidate, um, hold that seat that has been in the PC fold? for a long time? I think just by having individuals uh, in our community, in the district, recognize that, uh, you know, while it is big shoes to fill, and he and David Brazel did do a tremendous job, that it's my intention to continue to go through that same process and do the absolute best that I can for this district. I mean, we have... You know, we've been talking about the issues for a really long time. You know, we've been talking about health care. We've been talking about um, uh, housing. We've been talking about cost of living forever. But uh, we haven't talked about... Um, we haven't talked about it when it's followed by crisis. You know, present day, healthcare is a crisis. Housing is crisis. Cost of living is crisis. And, uh, you know, I... I it's not okay. It's not okay. And, I, and I'm running under the PC banner so that I can continue that tremendous work of, of, of David Brazel. And, and I believe that this is where the changes are going to be made. And we need people to start living comfortably and not have to choose today whether or not they're going to be hungry or whether or not they're going to be warm. And so I just plan through my campaign to ensure that I get out there and, and, and talk to people about the issues within the district and, uh, you know, talk to them about how we can, can how we can make change moving forward and continuing uh, to follow through with what uh, David Brazel so wonderfully put in place within this district. So I think that's how uh, we do things is just by continuing to work together. Now, Tina, I believe I did see one media report where there was some suggestion that um, there was uh, the local riding association wasn't overly happy with the process of you becoming a candidate. Uh, has that all been addressed? Is the riding association, the district association all on side with you as this campaign will soon launch? Absolutely. I, I've had some tremendous support from, uh, you know, from the caucus. And I, you know, really, I'm just I'm running my own campaign. I mean, I went through a nomination process. Anybody could have put their name forward. I didn't know until the end if anybody had put their name forward, if I was if I was going to be going through this, um, you know, with the company of another. So I, uh, you know, I went through the same vetting uh, process as anybody else would have. And I came out on this end and I'm very excited about that, um, you know. And so having the support of the district and the party and, of course, my mentor and David Brazel, I'm I'm very confident with how things are going to go as we move forward. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we'll be talking again. We'll be watching this race when it officially kicks off. Good luck to you and good for you. Um, uh, true of, of every candidate that puts their name on a ballot. It's not an easy thing to do in this day and age. And uh, good luck to you. And thank you for putting your name on the ballot. That's an important thing. Thank you, Tim, so very much. And Merry Christmas to you and your family. Enjoy. You too, Tina. Take care. All right. There's one of the candidates. Tina Neary, a PC candidate for Conception Bay East Bell Island. Now, oh, geez, I think I'm in trouble with my next guy. Now, I, I don't know what I did to find, get him riled, but I always got respect for this fella. So we're going to have a nice chat. Mike Keogh, why are you mad at me? I mean, I'm my not mad God. at you, man. If you were close by, I'd give you a hug. 
Okay, all right. right. Well, I focus, you. I focus on principles, not personalities. <laughs> Tim, 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 can you hear me? I got a headset on. Are you able to hear me okay on this? Yeah. Uh, you can land on runway 26, Mike. I can hear you, buddy. All, all right. good. Good. Yeah, no, Tim, by the way, uh, welcome back. And uh, I love watching your uh, postings on X or Twitter, I still call it, with the family and the rugby. And uh, thanks very much for that good lifestyle you've been living. It's a great model for many people. And for what you do for Newfoundland and Labrador, to come back and pitch on the good old piece of rock here for a while every now and then. It's Christmas time. It's home, buddy. It's home. Yeah. And it always will be. Yep. So when God created Newfoundland and Labrador, he or she, whatever your belief is, put a bit of magnetic rock in our hearts that will always activate and draw us back, right? Whatever it is. God love them, you know? Uh, and Tim, uh, the reason I'm calling, uh, I was uh, driving along, minding my own business. <laughs> I heard the wonderful Mr. Jim Winter call in yep. about, the delight, about the delightful Rick Smith. And uh, and he is a delightful guy. I mean, I've met him and I've spoken to him and uh, in a capacity as a director with the Department of Fisheries provincially. Tim, I was uh, the person mandated with overseeing the the implementation of this Royal Commission on Seals and Sealing in Canada that okay. Crosby announced. Yeah. And uh, I, I did a very short, short stint. Uh, after that, I believe, with Canadian Seal Association. So I have that in common with Jim. I know Jim. Jim is very, very accomplished. He's a former uh, host of the broadcast, well, we call it Fisheries Broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the broadcast, and he's a writer, and he's, a, yep. he's very, yeah, very, there's much more to him. I uh, My uh, challenges with the call this morning, and I do appreciate you standing up for Mr. Smith because you know Mr. Smith as Mr. Smith is a nice guy. I know that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Very accomplished, very skilled, good at what he does. The company that he worked for, the International Fund for Animal Welfare, Welfare. Yeah, I experienced the results of that. I mean, I remember sitting in a in a in a home down in White Bay, and the lady in tears and the children in tears because they had been receiving hate mail generated through this international and and afraid of being their children going to be skinned alive. These were the original fake things, the mail outs that this group did. Not Rick Smith, the group did. He yes. was an executive director and a fundraiser. So uh, is he a nice guy? Yep. Do I trust him? Will I trust him to look after the best interests of Newfoundland and Labrador? No, I won't. But that's okay. That's all right. I don't trust him. Bernie Davis steps into the picture now, Tim. Bernie Davis, our own minister yep. of conservation. And we have the federal minister now in climate change and um, conservation, a fellow named Stephen Gibbo. Stephen Gibbo, yes. Who's, who's a former Greenpeacer and uh, got a, got himself arrested, then spent some time in the, the equivalent of our majesty bed and breakfast him up there. Ran a little protest group out of Quebec as well. But lo and behold, now he is a... Now he is the uh, the one who is uh, leading up that government department. 
So, and, 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 and it's a... Um, and that was very calculated as you're, as you're pointing out, Mike. I mean, look, get to the, 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 the electoral math on that, right? As you well know, many of the listeners know. If the prime minister is going to succeed in holding on to government, which is dubious look at the current polls but things change then he needs yeah. Stefan Gibo the environmental coalition that Stefan Gibo helped build with Justin Trudeau and they they need Quebec so yeah uh, certainly and, and Mr. Gibo doesn't divorce himself from his past what if, if I can for just one second then I'll let you back yeah. in my, my point with Jim and I have a lot of respect for Jim I agree he's done a ton for Newfoundland and Labrador is how long should somebody be penalized for their past associations and acknowledge that Rick was with that. That was the point I was making. How do you see that as penalizing? Well, as in you don't trust them. No, 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 no. By by giving by the concern about Bernie posing with Rick at COP28. Look, that no, must so, Now we're getting mad. <laughs> no, 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 but, but Rick did yeah. this 20 years ago. That was my only point. So is oh, he still... No. The, the, let, just let me finish. The, the point I was trying to make, maybe not clearly, is he was part of IFA 20 years ago. Yes, you're right, Jim's right. He's still been part of the environmental movement for a long period of time, but he hasn't, to the best of my recollection and knowledge, been involved in the seal hunting and seal fishery issues for 20 years so should he still be seen as um a a a bad negative force by newfoundlanders and labradorians that's the point i was trying to make Uh, that's a good point and and uh, you know what i got no problem with seeing them like that but uh, it's a uh, you know the results of the work they did he did that group did still Mm -hmm. there you can't sure. chip a can of steel meat. You can't chip a pelt. You can't chip a bit of blubber. You can't chip a pill uh, for in anywhere into the European community as a result of that group. But that's not the, the big issue here. The big issue here, and in, 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 uh, and why Mr. Davis should consider resigning, or at least improving his knowledge of what's going on. Mr. Gibault now heads up the big, you know, it's, it's the cash cow. Anybody in the research, scientific, polling, uh, all of those industries ought to be delighted. He's got huge hundreds of millions of dollars. He does have a lot of money. And he, yeah. Oh, and he got out and he spent, what is, it, what is one of the first things he spent it on? He funded, he approved the funding of a thing called Canadian Climate Institute, headed up mm-hmm. by none other than who? Mr. Yeah, Smith. Rick. Yeah. And so, yeah, so to give them subsistence money, to, to develop frameworks on climate change, which will impact Newfoundland and Labrador. And Mr. Davis goes off to Egypt, and is it, I keep getting a Doha. I thought Doha, Dubai, it's Dubai. Dubai. Dubai is where, and i got to give you 30 Dubai. seconds, Mike, because we're late okay. for news, so you yeah. go ahead and wrap. So he goes, yeah, so the Honorable Bernie goes over there. We don't even have a framework. A fortune going over to these places. We don't even, they're developing our framework to replace our own laws. So do I like it? No. Am, am I in favor of uh, keeping him tight chain on uh, Mr. Smith? Yes. And Mr. Davis should be aware of it. Thank you, nope. Tim. Uh, all all fair guy. comments. Good talk to you, Mike, and uh, you stay well and uh, always appreciate your insight. Have a good Christmas. Bye-bye.
All right. So we're a little late for news, but uh, important conversation to have. Keep going. Time for news here now on VOCM. Back with you after that. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. Well, welcome back to Open Line. Now, my next guest. Now, you will know this name. You'll certainly remember the face. Such a handsome young anchor many years ago. He's still young, still handsome on CBC. And he's had a colorful journey. He's been a radio broadcaster. He's worked in politics. And now he's a vice president for Restaurants Canada Atlantic. Jordy Morgan. Jordy, how are you? Good. Um, it's nice to talk to you. I know I, I, it bothered you to come on the program when I was hosting here in Halifax, so I figured, you know, I might as well bother you to come on your program while you're hosting. Uh, we, we, we all know how it works. I mean, I, I just want one of those old autographed uh, CBC poster shots from you. And uh, Who was the co-host then, Jordy? When you guys started in Halifax, oh I can gosh. see her. Joanne. Um, was it, it was Joanne Stefanik, but we had Henry so, Champ there. We you had, had Henry. Yeah, right. Oh, Absolutely. my God, it was... Colleen that was Jones. Colleen, yeah. All all of you have done very well in life. But new role you have now. You're a senior vice president with Restaurants Canada. And it's hopefully, because I've seen some evidence here in Ottawa, and I saw some home in Newfoundland last week, that restaurants yeah. are doing okay, getting back on track. But what's the landscape look like, particularly in Atlantic Canada now, for people in your industry? Well, you know, it's one of those good news, bad news things. Um, as as you know, one of the things at Restaurants Canada, is, and you've probably heard that, uh, well, Richard Alexander, everybody will know in St. John's, yes. he's, he's moved up. He's a big shot in Toronto now with us. And uh, he's, you know, working with Kelly Higginson, who's the CEO. They've been back and forth to Ottawa on the SEBA extension, trying to get the federal government to, to push that back a bit because there's still a lot of restaurants that are, sitting on the edge uh you know many are going to be able to pay back that by the deadline they move the deadline into january but there's a lot that are really having a hard time and are struggling and, and the reason is is they're really squeezed by inflation uh mm-hmm. you know you you know what the you know go to the grocery store you see what food yeah. costs are like and those are all reflected in the bottom line of restaurants as well they're dealing with all of that they're dealing with increased transportation costs all when you think about the supply chain you know, and all of the things that have been added into it, including the carbon tax and everything else, is that everything is more expensive now. So your expenses are a lot higher. That means you have to raise your prices. You know what happens when prices get raised is that people don't show up as much or, you know, they're they're not going out as much. So that's a trend that's really, really worrisome is into 2024 is that we're going to see less people, you know, going into restaurants. So, um, I mean, those margins have grown much, much smaller. There's been a lot of pressure on wages uh, and, you know, access to labor is difficult. There's, you know, difficulty getting people in uh, to work in restaurants. A lot of the time that, you know, they're dependent on getting people coming in who are new Canadians and whatnot. So, yeah, I I would say there, there has been some good news that we've seen an increase in terms of the overall revenue in restaurants. But okay. when you look at the way that plays out in margins, it's uh, it's not really to the net benefit of the folks who are who are trying to run them. 
And, of course, we have uh, you, you, most restaurants need to hit it out of the park in December because January is a very quiet month and then ticks up a little bit again in February with Valentine's and and the like. Um, how's it going? You alluded to it a little bit, SIBA. Uh, How many restaurants are still dealing with the the SIBA loan, which was extended a little bit? But where where are they? Where where's the industry with that? Well, I can't give you the exact number of restaurants that are in trouble with SIBA. I mean, but I can tell you this number is that our last food service uh, report that we put out uh, just a couple of months ago had um, a third of restaurants in Canada are not breaking even. That means they're working at a loss. So when when you think about that particular dynamic, there are going to be a lot of people that were hoping that they would be able to get a further extension on this thing. But now what's happened is that they've got a couple options. They can either go to the bank, and the bank... Uh, banks are saying things like, okay, we want personal guarantees and we're, we'll give you a loan for a 13 or 14, 15%, whatever it is. So they're stuck there. Uh, then there are other folks, you know, who are third party lenders who are asking for even stranger deals. And you can only imagine what those are, or they have the option of waiting and then they have they, their, their debt gets uh, jumped up. So it was funny because I was actually just sending some emails to some MPs at Newfoundland and Labrador today. Uh, I, I won't say who they are, but I wrote, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I, it's been like crickets. I said, you know, would you would you have a meeting or could we have a call on the SEBA thing? And I'm like, usually people answer me back, but it's <laughs> so I wrote a letter today saying maybe this went to your spam folder, or you know, maybe you don't know who I am, but really would like to hear from you. So anyway, I'm hopeful that we'll, you know, be able to talk because the next question is going to be, all right, we start seeing restaurant failures. Mm-hmm. What then? You know, yeah. you know what? What is it? Just like there's sort of an acceptable level of restaurant failures that the federal government's prepared to entertain, or, or what? What happens at that point? So we have to start looking at, you know, what's going to be next if they're not going to allow a little bit of flexibility. Well, and, and also uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador and Nova Scotia, where you are, so much of our marketing to the world is come see us, come eat our food, come eat our people. But that is always around that come eat our food um, angle to all of this. And we also market to major events and we have the facilities to host them. So just just building on again, you don't have to tell me what MPs you you, you wrote, no, but what, no. what are you asking the Newfoundland MPs? to do beyond SIBA. What what would you like to see federal government MPs, both opposition and government, focus on? Well, they they feel like they sort of slammed the door on the SIBA extension thing. So we're looking at exactly that question. Okay, so what happens now? Like, what what is there? What can we do to work together to try and ensure that you know some of the restaurants that are right on the edge are uh, going to be able to maintain themselves or get through because if you don't all of those things that you were talking about about how we market ourselves to the world how people adjust in your culture i mean my god so john's when you go there i mean there's have always been fabulous restaurants i was just uh sitting here looking at portage that's the one that's you know yep. uh, operating there now it really it's really getting it i think it's in the air canada uh magazine there is one of the you know great restaurants in the city as they like to do 
And I heard you. Funny you say that. I heard two two people I was sitting next to on the flight back from St. John's to Ottawa. They weren't from St. John's. They were raving about Portage and raving about the Newfoundland food culture, which makes the point. Anyway, go ahead. No, I listen. That that is a point. It's the same thing here in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, and the Atlantic provinces. We depend on people having sort of a perception of who we are and what we are and what plays a role in our culture. And food is, you know, a really, really important part of that. So, um, you know, what the new year holds for these folks, we're continuing to fight on their behalf. uh, You know, the key areas that we're looking at are around inflation uh, pressures that people are dealing with and how we can manage that. Restaurants aren't looking for handouts. They're just looking for, uh, you know, a way forward that they're going to feel supported. And as, you know, we're seeing seeing governments spend a lot of money on a lot of things, and then we were really grateful for the CBO loans to begin with. But if if they find them, you know, operators find themselves in a worse position now than they did before. And there was a lot of adjustments that had to be made, you know, made out of the pandemic. So uh, we're we're working hard, and uh, we're hoping that we can come up with some some good uh, workable solutions. Well, you, you know how this business works, so I got to give you one minute yeah. to this, and then I got to get to yeah. a commercial break. It's not a one minute conversation, but I know you can give me a quick synopsis. Labor huge challenge, as you alluded to. Uh, restaurants can't work the way they want to work without people there to help, not just in the kitchen, but as a serving staff. I mean, how do you address, in in one minute, Jordy, how do you address the labor challenges the restaurant industry is facing? Let me just give you all my solutions for immigration. (laughs) Just give me 45 seconds and I'll do that. No, you know, I'm being facetious, but look, there's, uh, we've had the Atlantic Immigration Program, which has had some successes, but on the other side, it's created some issues around permanent residency that need to be addressed. It all has to be thought about, worked on, and you know we're looking at streams across the country in different areas for the hospitality sector that are going to make it work. We have to find streamlined ways for people to be able to do it, so you know the costs aren't uh, you know prohibitive to get people and new Canadians to come to Canada. There's housing issues along with that. It just goes. I mean, it's very very complex. And you're right, I can't answer it in 60 seconds, but um, we're going to continue working on it at Restaurants Canada, and that's that's what our, our members are, are asking to do. I just wanted to make one point, though. I was listening yep. to your newscast, and I'm so happy to hear that they're flying those Embraers, Porter's flying those Embraers to St. John's now, out of Halifax, <laughs> because they're great planes, and they're increasing the number of flights. So it's it's just another option, right, to get there. So I'm very happy. And, and they tend to land, too. Uh, well, of course, we have our new high-depth uh, instrument landing system. Anyway, good to talk to you, Jordy. Merry Christmas if we don't chat again. Take care. Yeah, Tim, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thanks very much for letting me on. Okay, that's uh, Jordy Morgan, Vice President, uh, Atlantic Canada for Restaurants Canada. Time for a break. We're going back to the Seals and Rick Smith after that. Reg is on deck uh, after this here on VOCM's Open Line. Great thing about Open Line is it is Open Line, and you never know where it's going to go. And the last place I thought we'd be going today would be the seal fishery, but clearly, and you know, good on you, very important to many people. Started with Jim Winter's call, and we've had a couple of calls calls about it already um, around a picture that Rick Smith, the former head of the International Fund for Animal Welfare in Canada, appeared in with our Environment and Climate Change Minister Bernie Davis. Uh, now, Reg wants to, to have a yarn about that. Reg, are you there? Yes, sir. Good morning. How are you this morning? I, I am good. What's your take on all of this? Well, first of all, I'm gonna, I got a question for you now, Tim. Sure. Ours, um, I'm, I'm, I'm no stranger to open line. Yes. And I'll guarantee you one thing, my buddy. 
And you say you were surprised there about the seal fishery today. I'll tell you the reason why. Okay. Because our politicians here in in uh, Newfoundland and up Mattawal haven't got the guts of a capelin. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> and I, when I say that I mean it, I'll guarantee you the MPs up there, I know them quite well. Mm-hmm. There's never nothing mentioned about the seal harvest. Not a thing. Every Newfoundland. Reg, can, uh, it, it, well, isn't there one exception to that? Hasn't Cliff Small, to the best of my recollection, last year certainly, wasn't Cliff talking about the seal fishery last year, I thought? Yeah, well, yes. Uh, 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 if there's, uh, every now and then, okay, the seal right. fishery do come up. For God's sakes. And, and I'm getting the voids, uh, Tim Powers. Uh, like you're, you're, we're talking about Rick Smith. Now, listen, there's been a lot of damage done over the years to our seal industry. I participated in the seal for a lot of years. We've been called everything in the book, and I'm quite sure you've mm-hmm. been a Newfoundlander. I assume you are. That, I am. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. I said I, I I am as well, and if you missed the point with with Jim, just to give you context, yeah. my family were seal fishers for a long time too, so I yeah. I, I understand uh, an aspect of it. Anyway, you go ahead, Rich. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, you know we've been calling everything in the boat, barbarians, mm-hmm. drunken newfies, out killing seals, and you know, listen, I took more more. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Uh, I had to Criticism. go, you know, and take. Uh, oh my God! I got the, uh, my train of thought last night. I got the word forgot. Anyway, that's okay. Uh, certificates for the quote to the seal on. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we went bought, I almost needed half a sheet of bloody plywood to put the certificates on to let them know that I knew how to pill the seal and I knew this and that about, you know, how to kill the seal and how to crush the, that uh, is aid and all this. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's ludicrous when I hear all this. Because, like I said, and I'm getting the voice there, Tim, that you're protecting or you're defending the Smith fellow. Am I, I right on that one? Uh, 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 two things on that. So let okay. me answer. I, I'm saying, I'm saying, look, Rick is and should and has been, in my view, just my view, Rich, held accountable for his time with IFAW. As you recall, the point I made to Jim was he was supposed to be Jack Layton's chief of staff. He lost a job as a consequence of that. I'm saying that since his time at IFAW, he's done other things. So So I'm saying should my point is should we not at least consider the fact that he has done other things or should he be still held accountable for things he did 20 years ago those are the only points i'm making well yes he should be held accountable my god tim i mean look at the damage he's done to newfoundland and labrador not only him i mean the paul watsons and the rest of them there were yeah there were tons of people exactly i mean uh, we were we were downgraded we were called everything for god's sakes I mean, why didn't they, why don't some of those people take a trip to Alberta and go eat some of the slaughterhouses out there and see if this is A-OK? For God's sake, give me a break, you know, Tim. And I don't know. Listen, after 20 years, as far as I'm concerned, the damage was done. There was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of damage done to the uh, people of Newfoundland and Labrador, and I think he should be held accountable. And I guarantee you right now, if I met the man in person, I goddamn well excuse the language. I'm a little bit peed off here this morning. Yeah, I, tell him to okay. his fa- I tell him to his face. And, uh, and he's buddied up with a good one now, Bernie Davis. So there you go, another Newfoundlander. But anyway, my son, listen, that's all I got to say to me as far as I'm concerned. 
uh, uh, the people, uh, the politicians here on this rock, and up above, have a bit of guts. And speak Reg, about our, new, uh, our, our ceiling. And you've just proven, and, and I think great on you for the call. That's the point, right? All I'm trying to do this morning, yeah. you and I have had a good discussion, Jim and I have had a good discussion, yeah. is talk it through so I can understand. Because the one thing I will give you that I don't understand the way you and Reg, uh, sorry, you and Jim do, yeah. is the immediate impact that the seal hunt is still having today. So thank you for helping me understand that. All I'm trying to say and have been trying to say is, you know, and I've just thrown it out there and you had a view on it, Jim had a view on it. Are you, we still accountable for things that were done 20 years ago? Your view is yes, um, and that's that's fair enough. That's what the conversation is about. So good conversation. Right. Thank you. I, got I appreciate no, I got it. Nothing against you. I got nothing against you, Tim. Like I no, said, no. it just said it bothers me. Uh, uh, it, uh, you know, I bottles over when I hear stuff like this. Okay. And like I said, anybody who protests in our sea alone. When you go out there, buddy, it's not all summer. Uh, oh. It's not all sunshine. When you're flipping pains and out on ice fields and rifles, uh, bullets going everywhere, it's not, not all, it's not what people think it is. So, but Well, it, anyway. and just on that, before you go, I got to say, and, and yeah. I think Mike raised it in the conversation, I will never forget because it was so embarrassingly <laughs> bad when Paul McCartney and his wife uh, yeah. were interviewed by Larry King and they just demonstrated a complete lack of understanding about what was happening and certainly trying to assess the seal hunt from charlottetown in and of itself was was comical anyway we'd agree on on that for sure i'll leave it there reg good to talk to you and listen uh after all that you have a merry christmas and happy new year (laughs) and no hard feedings and i'll tell you right now i talk to patty occasionally and I got no issue calling you when you're taking over for them. And uh, by small opinion, you have a good day and all is well. You too, Reg. No hard feelings. I like good, tough conversations. You take uh, care. Have a good Christmas. Take care, my son. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. All right. Time for news here on VOCM. We've got 28 minutes and back with more of your calls after that. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. So you may remember, if you were listening at the beginning of the show or if you've uh, paid attention to the news today, which I'm sure you have, that it's the 38th anniversary of the terrible crash of uh, Aero Air in Gander, where it was 256 people lost their lives. Um, but the vast majority were American service personnel uh, who were uh, were in transit. Daryl is on the line and wants to talk about uh, talk about this. Daryl, how are you? Oh, hi, Tim. How you doing? Long time no talk. I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, Tim, I was going to talk about the Aero Air crash. I was working I, I was working at the time when that happened at the airport with Allied Aviation. And uh, uh, I'll never forget the night before, I was working a Ford 12 shift, and uh, an overtime shift came available. And uh, so uh, me and my uh, co-worker, his name was Craig Granter at the time, worked there we we did a flip and he wanted to flip <laughs> so we ended up doing a double shift and work that morning and uh needless to say uh that morning i ended up going in anyhow because uh of what uh what happened and i'll, I'll never forget it because uh i remember uh, i still picture everything all covered over in plastic 
to sum it up in a good way, right? I, and, yeah. and we had to assist to uh, uh, to send, get the human remains back uh, to where they're destined to go. And uh, I'll never forget the the, uh, the U.S. military time were coming in with the C-141s to do it. Uh, now, they don't exist now. Uh, they're, they got what you call C-17s and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I, I still remember that uh, as like yesterday, and I'll never forget the, that uh, – uh, when that happened that day, I'd never forget all the news media around the world mm-hmm. were here in Gander. And the, the place was uh, b- busy. It was just gone crazy. And this, uh, and I, I'll never forget that uh, that time. It's, uh, some things that you might have to think about, but this one's fresh in your mind. <laughs> and how could you not um, lose? I mean, it would be fresh in your mind. It, it, it's, it, 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 I, I remember I was in Ontario, and I remember it was, national news it was international news as you say i remember looking at the the visuals on the screen not as um, horrific as what you would have seen there daryl and right. you know there's the, the debate raged about whether it was uh, an atmospheric icing issue and overloading or whether it was some onboard explosion i mean what was the chatter like at the time about what had happened as people were trying to sort this all out because the crash site is like what two three miles from the from the actual runway it's not very far yeah no it's, it's not the chatter was everybody was in shock and awe but originally that aircraft uh at dc8 uh he was going to take off over town and he changed his mind oh really and, uh, uh, oh okay. yeah he was going to take out he was going to take off over over town and he uh changed his mind and decided to take off over uh gander lake I think it was almost a last-minute decision. He he changed uh, he changed uh, where he wanted to take off to, and uh, that that day uh, we've we've had aircraft come and go all that day, and none of them didn't require any de-icing. So fascinating. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, so it was, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you know, you never know what really transpired there like but you, everybody looked at the history of it uh, uh where she came out of egypt and cloned germany again mm-hmm. and there's all like you said in your preamble like uh uh you know different things and it was like there's all speculation but uh but uh, i guess we'll probably never know and if i remember correctly i'm just trying to look it up as we're talking these guys were green berets weren't they was it the 82nd airborne that was on that uh division or on that plight the 80 yeah yeah i believe you're right the 82nd uh were on the flight because it was, was 256 pe- people total it was eight crew and tour 248 uh, uh military personnel and how did it go over in the town that day? And I ask that because, of course, we we all think of 9-11 now. It was, it's more contemporary, and, and the, the wonderful yeah. job and the great stories come from a way that Gander did in supporting people. And thankfully, of course, there weren't any crashes in Gander that day. There were terror acts in New York and Washington. But can you compare right. the two days? Were you in Gander in 9-11? Well, that the nine eleven. I worked all those flights too. As a matter of fact, nine eleven. I worked. Uh, I put ninety hours in within four days from Tuesday to Saturday, and uh, I think I might have departed the last flight. But uh, I, well, I worked all those flights. But you know, the thing is, I, I wasn't like a lot of other people. We never got a. I never got a chance to meet anybody because we're too busy working airplanes and then trying to get them out again. As uh, as uh, need be, and because we had uh, 38 aircraft, and uh, 
Uh, we're, uh, I can remember one shift in particular, I punched in uh, 22 hours straight. Really? And, uh, and, and I never forget, I guess your adrenaline was flowing and it were, uh, you know, at the time you did what you did. Uh, I'll never forget one gentleman it was on Continental Airlines. It was 757. I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. I was probably on my 19, 20-hour work, and he came over and looked at me. He said, sir, you look like you're tired. Shook my hand. I said, yeah, and I'm a 20-hour worker. He came back down over the stairs, shook my hand, and couldn't thank me enough, right? And this, uh, But, you know, it wasn't only me. We all punched in extraordinary hours. And apparently he went and t- I, t- I was told after, he went and told that story after aboard the aircraft. And uh, so I'm not really? sure if that part was in- come from away or not now. I don't know. And uh, But, uh, yeah, so I worked a few experiences in my uh, in the aviation industry, the Arrow Air and uh, mm-hmm. uh, 911. And uh, so, was, uh, uh, yeah, I had, uh, uh, you know, had my... Uh, a fill of all that, no doubt about it. How long uh, was the aftermath for the the Arrow Air? In other words, uh, you know, the other thing I guess that was comparable in Newfoundland in the eighties, of course, was the Ocean Ranger and that terrible right. tragedy where you know the world descended on Newfoundland and Labrador. How long was Gander, as you recall it, at the center of world attention um, as as the uh, aftermath of the uh, crash on December twelfth played out? Yeah, it went on for a, a, a little bit. After- Afterwards, uh, uh, when most people were in shock and awe, more like like people were saying, My, that airplane could have came over town and crashed yeah. into town, you know. Uh, that, But, you know, but it was, uh, the people were very sad of what happened, all these yeah. uh, uh, their lives uh, lost. And, and all uh, young and people, middle. too, right? All young soldiers. Yeah. I mean, the, the, not, yeah. not that that excuses or uh, yeah. if somebody had been older and they died, didn't make it any better, but these were people with their lives uh, well before them to go. Yeah, they're all young men, and, and as a matter of fact, a lot, a lot of them had little babies at home, probably two and three years old or whatever. It was, uh, it was very sad, and uh, I, I I don't know if they ever got closure put to it. You put, it's, it's something hard to put closure too and uh you know but this uh i i remember going on for a while to chatter for a while and uh, you know it was uh, uh you know it was a big thing a crash here in gander newfoundland you know uh, and uh you know what happened and uh it was uh it went on for a while after we're we're busy uh like like especially with the remains and the back busy with uh, as they had to uh, identify things and whatever. So that went on for a long time, months. It was, it was, a, it was a long process. And, you know, come to think of it, like uh, still stand, or standing there, or uh, uh, Johnny uh, Harris was here in Gander uh, yes. recently, uh, still standing. And I, I took in all that, and it's like it's too bad, like, like the Arrow Ear wasn't mentioned and a lot of other things. Like there's a lot of things I could see where other people wouldn't see, you know what I mean? And uh, it's too bad. Like he, he, it was okay, but uh, I think there could be more coverage off it. And you could talk to people like the Arrow Air Crash, like myself and other people. Like you could have been uh, more that, that way, you know. But he did a good job, you know. He covered everything, but I think it could have been more done. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's interesting, and I'll let you go after this. I was just, as we were yeah. talking, looking at some of the reviews, the Canadian um, CSAB, the Canadian Aviation Safety Board, of course, looked yeah. at it, and their report was controversial in the time. There was then another review done by a former Supreme Court justice, and yeah. he 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 challenged the conclusions. And then, of course, the one that I, I remember most, 
as many do. That uh, that show that was very popular in the 90s, Unsolved Mysteries, they ran a fi- uh, an episode where they heavily implied the crash occurred due to a detonation fire explosion on board the aircraft, and they were the ones right. who then linked it to the Iran-Contra affair, which, as you, to- yeah. as you will remember, was dominating our screens a few years later with Oliver North and all of that. So, yes, anyway. I remember all, I remember all that uh, vividly. And if I'm not mistaken, the Transportation Safety Board, I, I think they had numerous people resign from it as well. Yeah, I think it was uh, five of the nine supported uh, the first conclusions. Anyway, it's his yeah. for people who are listening and interested in this today because of the anniversary. Dig into it. It is it is fascinating because it's largely still not clear what happened. Anyway, appreciate your time, yeah. Daryl. Thank you for sharing your your memories of that tragedy 38 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and again, thank you for your time as well, uh, Tim. Keep up the great work and uh, and have a great day. You too. Merry Christmas. Take oh, care. Merry Christmas to you as well. All the best. Okay, uh, that's Daryl Arrow Air. We've got a few minutes. Uh, we're going to take a break first. You want to get in a couple of last calls? Give Dave a ring so you don't have to hear me prattle on, but I will if I have to. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. All right, welcome back. While well, we're continuing our discussion around the um, Arrow Air crash, we're going to talk to Andrea now about a ceremony uh, that's taking place today. Andrea, are you there? I am here. Thanks very much. I was going to leave the message, but he talked me into, <laughs> into going. <laughs> He's persuasive on like that. He's persuasive, uh, Andrea. He Tell- is. Wow. Anyway, my voice is a little rattly. I just heard Daryl talking, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a re-ceremony that goes on every year. My husband is actually down there now, full okay. disclosure. He's the mayor here of Gander. Okay. So I wanted to call and say that, you know, he left fairly early this morning. They put a lot of time into this very special day, heartbreaking as it is. But uh, it goes on every year, no matter what, the rain, the snow, <laughs> it goes on and no one's forgotten. And I believe there were women on board as well as men. I just okay. wanted to say that. So uh, that goes on every year at the Silent Witness. I don't know if you've been to the Silent I've Witness. I've been, yeah. It's, 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 it's an amazing but succinct memorial of, of that. As you oh. said, Silent Witness is the, the perfect way to describe it. It's been a while, but I, I've been there, and it, it, it's hard to forget. Yeah, as is that day. I remember being a very young, well, young woman. I'll say early 20s when it happened. And, uh, oh, I was downtown. We were all going around, and all of a sudden everyone heard it. And the town was in mourning full on all that Christmas from young, old alike. It was heartbreaking and still is, but we got to look, you know, at the good that came out of it, I guess. Do you, well, thank just, you for just, your time. Oh, no, no, i got to ask you a question, Andrea. You're doing great. Oh, no. Two, two. It's okay. Two two quick questions, because okay. does do the does the American government, the U.S. Uh, service personnel, do they still have a role in the memorial, or how Absolutely. how do they? Okay. Uh, we've met uh, a couple now during the summer months. Uh, we went down after. Uh, after a ceremony at 9-11 out in Appleton, but the ambassador at the time was a woman from, uh, ambassador from the States. Kraft, Kelly Kraft. You're right, Kelly Kraft. 
And we went down with her. She was very struck with it. Uh, there was just like five or six of us, I think, down there, and she was very overcome. She she couldn't believe how beautiful it was. Uh, the ambassador uh, that was here last, uh, I'm going to say, Cohen. last summer. Ambassador Cohen. Yeah, okay. Right, so he went down. I wasn't with him, but he went down with Percy and uh, yeah, Cohen. Yes, exactly. You're right. So uh, it, not forgotten. No one's forgotten. Still heartbreaking. Uh, the sun just came out here That's a little awesome. while ago. As I'm going to say, the wreaths were being laid. So there it is. And the very last question, and same one to Daryl. When you look at the Arrowware and you look at. 9-11 and how Gander responded what was the the, the 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 difference in the moods or how are the two linked perhaps is a better question how are they linked in terms of the fabric of the way Gander views itself and the way you have helped the world on different occasions well as I'll say my husband always says it's not Gander helps the world I think everyone would do the same thing and I truly believe that Although my experience from 9-11 is completely different. I see that as being horrific, and I had a cousin who was actually down there when it happened. But the aero air crash for me is heartbreaking, and the people that had to go down, I know one guy in particular, Claude, it was his first week being a firefighter, and he has, it was his very first week, and he was down there. I just, I can never think of that as being uh, something that I consider Mm -hmm. that we helped by, you know, doing anything. I just have heartache for all of the people. But it is a beautiful spot. I would encourage anyone to go down, especially in the summer, right, when it's uh, it's quiet and beautiful. And, of course, the statue there is something else. No, no, it is the silent witness, as you say. Well, thank you. You were reluctant, but you were fantastic. I and, was uh, not going on air. I was like, yeah, he's pretty good, i got to say. <laughs> he, he's good. We'll give him his salary today, but thank you very much, Andrea, and, and thank you oh, you're for everybody for welcome. remembering this. Okay, oh, take well, care. Anytime. You take care. Bye. Okay, Merry Christmas as well. Goodbye. All right. Well, there you go. I, I, I'm glad we are talking a little bit about Arrow Air. Uh, it sometimes does get forgotten because of, of 9-11, but... Um, no less significant in terms of the impact, as you can hear from Andrea and Daryl and the people of Gander and, of course, all of the families who lost lives and loved ones on the day from its significance in the historical discussions of the time. It was uh, it was something. Um, so if you get a chance today, dig into that a little bit. Just a couple of other quick things. Uh, cleaning up a little bit here before we go for the day. Uh, one of our callers earlier had asked about uh, public exams and what the the agenda was on, on these today. And Jenny from The Rock, who's a mom, uh, had responded with her perspective. She said, in my experience, and her son is in grade 11, exams are a class-by-class prerequisite. Some classes don't require them. Also, the amount the exam worth is worth towards the final grade can differ as well. 
So that, I hope, helps, but we will keep uh, asking the Department of Education for an answer there. And a lot of feedback on power bills. Uh, we got a call about that and people making the point that um, uh, that the explanation that is being given is generally an accurate one when it gets colder, um, costs more, and usage goes up. And as a consequence of that, you are paying more. That probably doesn't help you pay the bills, but it is a further explanation. Uh, but if you have concerns, keep calling and we'll keep digging for all of you. Now, before we go, one thing I didn't get to talk about, and I'll just mention it quickly because it is tough time of year. We all know that. Um, many people will experience the highs and the joys of the holiday season, and, and that's wonderful. Equally, many more may experience the lows, the anxieties, the traumas, the worries of money, and uh, the, 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 the fear of not being able to provide, and that is very real this time of year. Somebody who's had struggled over this, this time of year and other points of the year, I say pay attention to your health and pay attention to those around you. want to flag again something that's been brought up in the news, um, but I think it's a wonderful initiative, a credit to the federal government, at 38 different agencies that are part of it. But if you need help, and particularly if you're in very dark spot and you can't find somebody to talk to, don't be afraid. Don't hesitate to call the new 988 service. It is a uh, mental health and wellness line focused on suicide prevention. Um, it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Trained professionals, a, th a thousand volunteers working this. They're all well-trained. Look after yourselves, look after your health, look after your well-being. It's so important, and don't be afraid to use the 988 service if you need. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Uh, thank you. Great to be with you today. I may or may not be with you over the next couple of days. Regardless, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thank you, as always, to Dave Williams. He is uh, a rock star and uh, keeps this show moving. And uh, I will talk to you again soon. For now, this is VOCM's Open Line. I'm Tim Powers. Goodbye.